Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast. My name is Brett Arnold at Brett Redacted on Twitter and Joe Avella at Joe Avella on Instagram, he would want me to say, because he don't fuck with the Twitter anymore. <laughs> um, he is, he's gone. He has moved. He is currently in an empty apartment in LA. He sent me a very funny picture of him, or not of him, of his cat, one of his cats sitting in an empty apartment with no furniture, very confused about what to do. Uh, I heard all about the journey. Joe flew on his, on the plane with the cats. It was a whole thing. I'm sure he'll be back next week to talk about it. But until then, we have a very special guest host who I met uh, months ago at this point, who I kept talking about Joe. I kept talking to Joe about getting on, and we never uh, made it happen. But I'm glad he's here filling in the Joe Avella-sized hole in this podcast. Uh, I'm here with Scout Tafoya. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. It's 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 one thing to be a guest. It's another thing to be such a huge guest that you have completely replaced the original host. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> he's never coming back either. You're gonna people are gonna want Scout. So why don't you tell our listeners a little about yourself? Because some may not be familiar if they're not in what I call the film Twitter sphere. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a weird little bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like the Borg. Once you've you know been in, <laughs> once you've become part of it, it's tough to think of your life as anything other than a member of film Twitter. Yes. Um, I uh, I am a uh, semi-pro film critic. Uh, I write for RogerEbert.com. You only write about the Will Ferrell films. Semi-pro, yeah. actually one of the funniest films ever made. <laughs> the card game in Semi-Pro is actually like oh, one I of. I remember that scene. It's actually just one of the funniest things I've ever it's, seen in my life. Yeah, my I younger my younger brother and I used to watch that scene. It's the jive turkey scene. That's yeah. right. And the <laughs> the whole thing with Nam and the violin. Anyway. Getting way off track right away. There's a cat behind me, which I love. This is is my favorite kind of podcast atmosphere. The more cats, the better. (laughs) There's vodka and cats. I love it, yeah. And it's before noon. It's it's (laughs) 11.30. Anyway, uh, (laughs) yeah, uh, you can find me at RogerEbert.com. I've written in the past for, uh, I write for uh, Movie Notebook as often as I can because I love those guys, Danny Kasdan forever. Um, I write for, uh, I've written for Screen Rant and No Film School and, um, oh gosh, a, a zillion and one places that I can't remember all now. But um, yeah, I'm also a filmmaker. I have a bunch of uh, stuff uh, on Vimeo On Demand that you can find very easily. I'm on Patreon where I do a lot of video essay stuff. Like to like to go to go to the mat for the for the things that other people don't love as much as I do. Yes, I don't want to... W- if I called you, I, tw- I jokingly called you a contrarian <laughs> on Twitter. I want to know how you feel about that and if you embody that or if you think people I, are just often wrong. No, 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 no. I mean, like, I, I try not to, like, lean too hard into the contrarian thing because I know that that's its own sort of trap. And, like, I've seen a lot of people fall into that. And, they, like, I don't, there's nowhere to go. And then get banned from Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, there's nothing I love more than when uh, Keith Stanfield is calling for film critics to retire. That's genuinely, like, I love that. Yeah. Um, good. <laughs> Stanfield's great. Anyway, um, no, I um, I'm I, I am kind of always on the lookout for potential unloved candidates. Unloved is the the um, video essay series I do. I just as of this recording, I just did my fiftieth 
which is like a crazy milestone. That is crazy. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I tried to watch your one on the assignment. Oh, yeah. But I just hate that movie uh, so much. I did not want to hear it. No, that's fair. I, <laughs> I, I think, I think, and it's interesting, in my, my like approach to new films by older directors, in a way, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's kind of like too kind of hetero and masculine in a way where I'm constantly looking for guys like Walter Hill who've been around forever who have sort of fallen out of favor um, just so that when something like the assignment falls in my lap, I'm like, oh, this is perfect because I love this and I can see every bit of old Walter Hill in this new movie and everybody hated it. And so like, I don't know, it's tough not to do a little like celebratory dance when you find something so sort of perfect. But at the same time, it's kind of sad because you're like, oh, this guy like gave us so much and now we just don't want him. <laughs> I liked Bullet in the Head. More I loved Bullet in the Head. Than this. The scenes of... Um, um, uh, uh, forgive me, the, the, the gentleman from the Fast and the Furious movies, um, him and Sylvester Stallone riding around New Orleans, like fake backlot New Orleans oh, right. in their yeah. car, just arguing with each other. Like that to me is some of the most entertaining stuff I've ever seen. Like I, <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah, that movie's a blast. Um, so everyone, if you like Scout on this episode, or even if you don't, maybe you're curious, <laughs> maybe you just like the assignment more than Joe and I did, uh, Go to RogerEbert.com and find the unloved. I'm sure if you Google Scout, uh, Scout Tafoya, Roger Ebert, you will find what you're looking for. Yeah, there's a zillion of them. <laughs> uh, I just, I'm, I love that you work for RogerEbert.com. I don't know if you had the same relationship growing up with Roger Ebert that I did in that I'm from the suburbs of Chicago. So I grew up every Friday morning. I would wake up before my parents. I would go get the newspaper from out front and I would read whatever Roger Ebert had to say about whatever movie. I just loved his cadence, the way he often was very funny in his reviews and he was never overly judgmental. He, his critic mantra, I want to say was like, did this movie do what it's set out to do. It doesn't matter what the genre is. He liked tons of crap that just like this was successful in at being crap and it knows it. Yes. Um, so what is, are you as excited to work for RogerEbert.com as I would be? I, I, not a day goes by that like it's, it's not totally insane to me that I, I was asked by Matt Sites to take part in this incredible you know, still five years out, like, you know, so many, so many media sites come and go all the time. You know, there's, the, the, you know, and not just criticism, but I mean, like the Dissolve, the Dissolve and yeah. Gothamist now is gone and yeah. Gawker and all this. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a miracle when anything stays open longer than you in, anticipated it. And it really does speak to everybody's love of Roger and what, uh, you know, his spirit has sort of uh, uh, led that site to become. I mean, you know, you, we've got probably the most diverse roster of regular contributors. Yeah, and <laughs> I still... Roger Ebert's been dead for years, and I still... It was my homepage for years, mm -hmm. and now I go... Every Friday, or even Thursday now, like, I'm there. I'm looking at... I read Brian, yep. I read Simon, I read everyone who's there. It's 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 incredible. It, like, the, the stuff that you get on a regular basis, like, the fact that Vikram uh, Murthy is now... Yeah. Like, he writes for them as often as he does is... I like, hear he's moving here. He is. He might already be here. I don't... Um, but anyway, like, it's... it's it, he's, the, he's the fucking best. Like, he's... Yeah. Like, like, you can swear on this podcast, right? Yeah. All right. 
Everybody asked that. This I is never, a Christian yeah, podcast. Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> I take my coat off. Yeah, please. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, it, it's it's it never ceases to astound me, the regular amount of people. You go on the homepage and you're like, whatever the festival report is or the personal essay that somebody felt they needed to write, and here's the home for it. That's what I love about that place. And it sort of makes the whole unloved thing work extra well because it's like where can these sort of misfit opinions go you know where where are we going to find a home for something that's what matt for years he would go on twitter and he would say you know the thing that you think that you like you've been waiting to write your whole life and you're worried that you're going to find a place for it like talk to me like we're going to put it on this website and i think that that's wonderful like the idea that i can read like my friend olivia colette who's just like one of my favorite human beings just like talk about you know whatever movie is like most interested in her to the point where she had to write something it's there like that place is a mecca for for people who want you know minority opinions right. on the great works of art and i'm not is it weird maybe maybe i should be but i'm not worried about that site disappearing no i mean i'm I like I mean, I know I still read it, and I feel like all the loyal Roger Ebert fans still trust the website. I hope so. Chaz is doing a great job. Chaz also. is doing a great job. I got, I've been to several Ebert Fests. I went to school out there. That's so awesome. I, I'm still geeking out about it, so thank you for being here. Yeah, dude. And, like, I, the, I don't I, – I, I, as far as I know, that site should and could go forever, honestly, because there's so many wonderful people who want to write for it, and – you know, we're they're they're making it work, and Brian and Chaz are like hustlers extraordinaire, keeping that place open and doing everything they can to be good to us. And I like I just feel so like welcome and loved, and like those guys have my best interest at heart. You know, I'm not like uh, I'm not one of their weekly critics, but even even just as the guy who does the video essay every month and occasionally fills in for reviews, like I still feel so taken care of by these people. Like they're. They're so they're so giving and wonderful, and it's 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 a never ceasing honor and wonder that I get to be a part of it. It's incredible. Man, I was actually at Ebert Fest the year that he died, and they they still did the festival, and it was mostly Chaz running it, and I'll never forget it because she was on stage just crying a couple times because she kept being coming up there and being like, "So Roger, you know, knew he was gonna go." And he left me a note here, and he left me something here, and like he was like guiding the the process of Ebert Fest from Ugh. beyond the grave, and it was like the craziest thing that's, to see. Like that's insane. Like it that's, was wild. And that's exactly, I think, to go back to you know his 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 writing style. I mean, that guy was he was so clearly like he wanted the best for 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 humanity, and like he saw what everybody was capable of, and he saw that mostly through art, you know, because. He must have been surrounded by, you know, insane Harvey Weinstein types for most of his life because you go to festivals and you get oh, press screenings. I hate, I hate them. <laughs> you know, like you just like you're surrounded by people who, who kind of have to bottom line film like, you know, the Jeff Wells is right. Exactly. Like there are people who who just don't see film as art and they're all around us at all times, you know. So like it's it's very tough, I think, to kind of maintain your, you know, sort of starry eyed approach to the art form. And I think Roger. Roger understood where they were coming from, and he certainly got, you know, how after spending so much time in the world of film, you could become a little disillusioned. But there was nothing better than when, like, something like kind of swept him off his feet. 
you know like yes. when, you, when you could absolutely tell that like film was in his blood and just like uh, uh, and the exact opposite when he fucking hated, hated something. something like a zero star review of Tomcats yes, yes like yes. I, I remember those oh my god <laughs> well those are those are all timers man he and, and the, the European gigolo review <laughs> yes that's right yeah it's 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 uh, it's just so heartening like you know that's the thing it, he's he's a guy and, and there are there are a precious few of them who I think um when they hated something, they could make you love film more. <laughs> right. It's incredible. Also, uh, I love that he went to bat. Even though I don't like this movie that much, he loved Alex Proyas's knowing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. That movie. Four-star review. Yep. Just gushing about it. Well, because he's he, that's that's what I love, too. And I, and that's the thing I think maybe I respond to most from Roger is that when you start out, you know, whatever it is, when you start out on a journey with a filmmaker, like, you kind of can't pull yourself out of it. Like, there's no... There's no reins that you can pull to be like, let me love this guy less. You know what I mean? So sure. like, you know, e even in something like that's the whole like unloved thing is just like, I, you know, I didn't I didn't like want to necessarily be the only person who loved Roland Emmerich's Anonymous. But like, I can't. Oh, my God. Is that Roland Emmerich's Shakespeare movie? Yes. I never saw it. It's the best. <laughs> like everybody fucking hates it except me. That's the one to date that I know that like the cult is just like me. Like yeah. that's is like, <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know, like ten people. Have who... you heard anything from Roland? Has he watched that from from who? <laughs> Roland Emmerich. <laughs> I don't think Roland Emmerich. He's has like, seen thank it. you so much, Scout. Ah, I think I think Roland Emmerich is is He's still reeling from what is it, ten thousand BC? Oh uh, yeah, that yeah, too? yeah. He did, yeah. and that movie's <laughs> not terrible. I'll be honest with you. Like, I feel like he was so, like he 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 must be one of the only people on Earth who couldn't successfully like. Uh, isolate himself, insulate himself from the critical voice because it's been so merciless since basically Godzilla. Like yeah. every movie he's put out since then, everybody's been like, "What is this shit? Yeah. <laughs> like, what I mean, is this?" I was garbage. too young to care what the critics said about Day After Tomorrow when it came out, oh, but sure. I like that at the time. That was, I mean, that's the thing is that like there, there, there. Remember, there are wolves running around. There, there are wolves in that movie. There are CGI wolves. That that's was right. the, like the heyday. I remember the. Um, it was like 2003 or something. I think it was 2004. Um, okay. I think it was. I saw that. The same around the same time as um, a Rennie Harlan's uh, Exorcist rewrite. Oh which, yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which also had like CGI hyenas. CGI. I'm hyenas. trying to remember which one was was Dominion. D uh, well, or was it the other one? Dominion heretic. was the Paul Schrader. Schrader. Yes. Uh, Exorcist Three: The Heretic is the is the oh, great, that's the that's, that's the, the, great, the great third one. Yeah, that's the one with the nurse. Yes, yes, yes and the um, shears. What was the other one that wasn't Dominion called? Dominion well, well, prequel to The Exorcist. Well, Dominion. Okay, so this was the the, the, the strange history of this is is Paul Schrader um, comes aboard to do the fourth Exorcist movie, which is going to be a prequel about. Uh, the father uh, Marin characters or uh, um, uh, crisis of conscience in the early part of his life. Then they don't like what he's doing with it and they take away most of his money because in the end of that movie, it's basically just like a, a it's Stellan Skarsgård having a conversation with a like a man in a in a turban floating a couple of inches off the ground. <laughs> right. So clearly something went wrong there. And, it, <laughs> and the and the producers are like, oh, this is terrible. We can't release this. So they hire Rennie Harlan. Real Get quick. out of here, dog. <laughs> Go on. They hired Rennie Harlan. And he turned it into a dumb fucking Rennie Harlan movie. Right. Like, he just got in there and he's like, you know what this needs is women crawling around caves and hyenas eating children. And, like, he's both wrong and right. Like, there was definitely something wrong with... <laughs> what they had in the Paul Schrader film, but it was, uh, it, like, like it couldn't be, it was not a problem that could be solved by Rennie Harlan. <laughs> That's studio thinking for you. Isn't it? Like, there's we no logic to that. Nope, we'll we hire this bullshit, this, 
bullshit artist <laughs> to right. fix our movie. Well, the guy. Daisy, get out of here. She's going to drool all over you. <laughs> Daisy. There's a dog. Get out of here. Hold on one second. Yeah, sure. Okay, the dog is gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Rennie Harlan conversation the Rennie Harlan. can continue. Yeah, so he had literally just finished. Um, I, I bl- no, I'm sorry. That's wrong. He had just finished Mindhunter. Which, which was on the shelf for years. Yes, it's, that's true. Um, I remember that because I wanted to see it really badly. <laughs> and they just wouldn't release it because it's very bad. <laughs> yeah, now it's on Netflix. It is. Uh, Both uh, the show that they made. Yes, that's right. Which has and nothing, Rennie Harlan's nothing to do with <laughs> Rennie Harlan's LL Cool J story. Well, you know, you make deep That movie's see. about an island. Yep. Of there's a serial killer on it, or they're all I don't remember. There, it's I believe in 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 classic Robert McKee fashion. It's they send a bunch of people who can. <laughs> Like who can, who are the best in the world at detecting serial killers, and one of them is a serial killer. Yeah. So then they're stuck on an island together, and uh, then they have to they all kill each other. And I believe at the end it's like LL Cool J having a knife fight with somebody because I think <laughs> I think he did it, but I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. But like that's just so perfect to me. The studios they get they get the guy who wrote fucking Taxi Driver and <laughs> Bringing Out the Dead and Affliction, and they're like, yeah, sure, we can trust you to make us a million dollar horror movie, a sequel to one of the most like runaway success crossover genre blah 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 ever made and he gives them like a Paul Schrader film like it's just a conversation it's a long acrid conversation between a guy who's lost his faith and an actual demon and they're like nope this doesn't work get the guy who made Deep Blue Sea yeah <laughs> like get me cliffhanger his in here his career is so funny to me oh yeah because I like Dream Master I like Nightmare on Elm Street for a lot mm-hmm. uh, then he did Die Hard 2 yeah which is fun which is fun cliffhanger Cutthroat Island, Long Kiss Goodnight. Long Kiss Goodnight, I will argue, and I have <laughs> publicly and privately that that movie is fucking great. Uh, I don't remember having any strong feelings about it. I would love to rewatch it. You got Deep it. Blue C, I don't remember very much either. Deep I know Blue people, C people is, really have an affinity for that movie. Deep Blue Sea is very bad. Um, There's a sequel straight to video coming out in April. I just saw the cover for it. What? It's called Deep Blue Sea 2. Uh, someone was That's like, should so it be called like Deep Blue Red? I was like, yeah, actually, that actually uh, works pretty nice. Deep Red Sea. Deep Red Sea. That would work. Or, uh, I don't know, Deeper Bluer Sea? Yeah. They uh, should just oh, my call God. It. Remember that movie Driven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's terrible. Oh, my God. It I introduced uh, America to a young German by the name of Till Schweiger. Yeah. <laughs> a love affair that has yet to take hold. And then, yeah, <laughs> Exorcist the Beginning was the other one. Exorcist the Beginning. That's right. So it's Dominion. And then he did The Covenant. Yes. Which 12 is... rounds with John Cena. That's the, th- the problem, I think, ultimately with Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan never embraced the fact that he should be making weirdo queer masterpieces and like he's like constantly on the verge like the gina davis character in long kiss good night like keeps flirting with this sort of very classical hollywood lesbian imagery like gina davis has a kind of dietrich facial structure and he just won't light her the right way like he liked her too much because they were married for right. a half second and he just kept her in full like brilliant blinding light the, the entire time she's never in shadow except like for one shot of her at the top of a staircase in a wet like uh like slip basically and he just like can't commit to it and like again driven should be just like like top gun but it's like not because stallone <laughs> stallone does not have the sense of I've... humor about himself that tom cruise does which like jesus and <laughs> like till schweiger you know is just this glowering you know teutonic you know fucking like, like again, like these guys could be presented as pinups, and they even tried to. They made a driven TV show, like spearheaded by McGee. Did you know this? No. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> as if that movie was any sort of success. Right. Exactly. Like, it, like <laughs> nobody talks about driven. Nobody cares. I put it on VHS one day, and it looked like garbage. Like it looked 
Oh, the movie, not the show. The show, The McG show? The McG show looked exactly like you picture a McG TV show, like, between Charlie's Angels movies. I can't believe I finished The Babysitter. I watched that whole movie. It was so fucking bad. Good for you, but... (laughs) Yeah, it was for this dumb podcast. Yeah, Um, that's funny. I always always forgot that his most recent movie is that one that was only out in China. Oh, yeah. The um, one with Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville. Skip Tracers, right? Skip Trace. Yeah, Skip Trace. I haven't seen it. I have not either. Like, I don't know, Johnny Knoxville and Jackie Chan, that's like a winning combination. It could not suck. You were were you a jackass guy? Because uh, I oh, fucking was totally. <laughs> I, one of I my, worship those dudes. <laughs> one of my first video essays for the Patreon was a study of all three jackass movies. Are you serious? It's Ten minutes long. It's called Jackass or Rhapsody. I'm. <laughs> I'm in love with those films. I have been since since I first they're saw them. They're amazing, and from like a studio perspective, like they're the happiest studio on the planet because like oh, this yeah. movie cost nothing, nothing, uh, and we made hundreds of millions. Basically, of like the only danger I think was that, and you know, rest in peace, Ryan Dunn. The only yeah. danger, the, the the only like cost if built into died. those things, exactly, is if they died <laughs> on set. That's that's which it. is a serious possibility. Like, risk. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Possibility. The stuff that they're doing to themselves. There's is it Jackass three, the one where Knoxville's in the golf cart and flips and almost breaks his fucking neck. That's the first one. That's the first first movie. Literally (laughs) right out of the gate. It's like sketch number four or something like that in those movies. Um, And then also the, like, Jackass, the movie starts with uh, uh, Demolition Derby, rental car Demolition Derby. Yes, rental car. Which which he almost dies in as well. I always cite as, like, a reason when I'm getting car insurance. I'm like, I'm just going to fucking wreck this thing. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But, like, those movies are are, are very important. Dying for another one. I would kill for another one. They're amazing. They're, they're like, they're some of the most essential 21st century art ever because they first of all examine our like closeness to death. It was pre YouTube. It was. It was basically YouTube pre YouTube. It was. Yeah, <laughs> and, like the road movie that's getting all this press now seems like an attempt like way late to cash in on people's sort of like weird voyeuristic bloodlust in the way that the Jackass movies used to satiate because there really is something completely uncanny and 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 singular about watching these gorgeous young men beat the shit out of each <laughs> other like and you know, just like it, it, it's amazing because it's sort of it's it's you know they 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 genuinely love each other. You can so tell, like yeah. with the exception of Dave England, who they all hate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like there's this beautiful sort of homoerotic text to all of it. It's not subtext; it's right up there. I mean, they're constantly firing dildos at each other, like <laughs> yeah, literally shoving one in a Bam's ass. With the, with the, oh my god, trick. hilarious! And the rocket, the dildo the rocket, rocket yeah. like it's it, it's 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 amazing. I love you, it. Did you watch all the CKYs and all that shit too? Uh, I I watched a bunch of that stuff. I watched a yeah. lot of the TV show, and I'll tell you though the best, the best like like uh, I had the box out of the TV show. One of the best purchases <sighs> I ever made. So good. <laughs> There's a booklet. Oh, it's perfect. Great. I hope it doesn't have the the Jonathan Rosenbaum essay. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, that's right. A Tag Gallagher video essay. Uh huh. The um, Pauline Kale. That's right. That's right. Pre desk wrote <laughs> about right. it. Loved. <laughs> loved predicted it. it. Um, but uh, <laughs> the the commentary track with all the guys in the room together yes. is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I, know. I love it. it. It's even better than the film itself. Like it's 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 incredible. It's one of those things where like I always say the commentary for like you know Cannibal the Musical is also like one of those ones where it's like it might be funnier than the movie because oh, it's like they leave halfway through to go to a strip club. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's exactly. Amazing. It's that 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 <laughs> taking advantage of like the complete degenerate possibility of art and or the like meta text of the film itself it, like to just be even more insane and sleazy and like live up to every. Everybody's low expectations of them, it like that's wonderful. Like, just like that's that's kind of seizing the the, the medium in a kind of Marshall McLuhan-y way, which I think maybe the first time anybody has uh, uh, mentioned Marshall think, McLuhan and Jackass. Yeah, I say I think you have multiple video essays here already. We got the Gina Davis lighting thing. Yes, that's, that's true. a video yeah, essay. Yeah, absolutely, the way you've got your Marshall McLuhan Jackass video. Oh my God! Yeah, Matt Zoller sites. I hope you're listening. <laughs> Pay I, your boy. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Oh man! Oh. Um, I don't know how the fuck we got here, 
But uh, we can go back to the format of the podcast in which uh, we usually talk about our weeks. Yes. Did you have a week? Was it fun? What happened? I've been uh, uh, putting the finishing touches on the first draft of a video essay feature. Um, It's an hour and a half long, and it's about movies set in and around rural airports. Um, Give me an example. uh, The Tarnished Angels and the the Gypsy Moths. Never seen it. Um, of course, Coleman Francis's immortal The Skydivers. Okay. Um, it's it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Actually, what sort of led to me being like an actual sort of a regular film writer was um, uh, The Tarnished Angels was playing, I want to say, Film Forum or possibly MoMA. Um, and I, w- I love that film to pieces. It's one of Douglas Sirk's best film, if not his best film. Um, it's kind of got this really wonderful uh, approach to adaptation. It's based on uh, Pylon by William Faulkner. And it's one of his wooliest novels. Like, it's the text is completely unwieldy. Like, he makes up words and stuff like that. It's a, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, but it in no way resembles the incredibly elegant, beautiful, fatalistic film they made of it. Like, reading the book is kind of like having a story told to you, like, through a blanket by a drunk um <laughs> and then watching uh tarnished angels it's just this one wonderful sort of dust bowl era composition after another of these really desolate airfields with these lone figures watching planes go in circles it's really wonderful and poetic um it was made in 57 that incredible run when Cirque could do no wrong um I mean, not that he ever could, but he was really right. like especially on fire post um uh, magnificent obsession anyway um so, you know, he makes All That Heaven Allows and Magnificent Obsession. He closes out the decade with Imitation of Life, and he makes Time uh, uh, time to... Well, what the hell is the name of it? It's the Rock Hudson War film. Regardless, it's these very weepy kind of, you know... Yeah, be- melodrama. Exactly, these beautiful, ex- uh, you know, impressionistic uh, melodrama. And, uh, and then he makes, in the middle of this, uh, uh, Tarnished Angels, which is just this beautiful poetic thing so i really wanted to write about it and i wanted to write about this other very small subset of american films about you know the kind of depressives who hang out at rural airports during the depression um depressive depression and um (laughs) and i couldn't find a home for the piece uh i tried a bunch of people and finally vadim rizov was like why don't you try brooklyn magazine and i sent it to mark ash and he said i can't run this but would you like to write a little capsule of uh, tarnished angels for the screening and i did and that sort of set me on the course of writing for brooklyn magazine and eventually screen rent and all these other places regardless uh i held on to the idea i still had the piece i it never went away so i finally turned it into a kind of a you know uh free floating kind of uh, uh free associative thing about movies set at airports but in order to talk about what you know the the sort of the significance of the airport was i kind of had to establish what america looked like when these movies were being made so between like uh you know the 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 real meat of it starts in 57 but it's about the depression so i looked into exploitation films from the 50s 60s and 70s um to find footage of actual american streets and towns and stuff like that because studio movies weren't for the most part going out onto the street are you spending lots of time at libraries like where are you finding all this shit um uh the dark web (laughs) the silk road of like old film clips absolutely well i mean well you know i i lucked into a treasure trove there back in the day i don't know how familiar with any of this you are when i was in college um, piracy hadn't sort of broken open the way that it is now where if you want anything all you gotta do is basically google it like yeah. it's all right there yeah if you want to watch a movie type of watch blank online you will find an ad written link but you can watch it mm-hmm. <laughs> it's wild to think that like even a few years ago stuff like this presented something of a, of a challenge but I found this old 
uh, kind of backdated uh, blog, which had all these incredible Joe Sarno, Edwie Fennick, um, uh, Doris Wishman, um, Michael Finley movies. It was all old smut, basically. Um, and they had all these really lovely, I mean, that's the weird thing to me. You know, people year after year, they do these film preservation blogs and stuff like that to try and, you know, like just like restore lost Joseph von Sternberg masterpieces. Meanwhile, <laughs> three in a mattress or three in a towel is, it looks the best it's ever looked. Right. There is no trash movie that isn't currently in the best condition it's ever been. Manos, the hands of fate, maybe yeah. the worst film of all time looks beautiful. Right. Like, they they restored a, the shit out of that one. They restored it beautifully and they got the grain back in the thing. Like I, God <laughs> bless fans of sleaze because trash cinema will never want for a beautiful restoration. All this stuff is perfectly preserved. I don't know how they did it. But like Yoko Ono's first movie, I think it's called Satan's Bed or something like that. Um, but she just plays a woman who's like like hunted by maniacs in the street or something like that. And that movie looks beautiful. Like you can absolutely tell everything that's happening. Like so I found, I remember all these like uh, kind of lovely expressionistic shots of American streets uh, from the uh, wonderfully trashy likes of the curse of her flesh or a smell of honey a swallow of brine like just these gross david friedman productions from the middle 60s but the thing about it is because they didn't have any money they just went out on the street in the shot they like permits i don't know were just not a thing or they just didn't care one of the right. two so if you wanted to see what america looked like in the 60s you can't watch studio movies because they they made it all up they did yeah, it, you know it's they, a back lot somewhere precisely which is gorgeous like that's its own reward but so i found all this great footage of just like hotels and and uh, back streets and alleys and dirt roads and stuff like that it, uh, like there's a lot of really lovely footage of like Florida swamp in a movie called uh, Death Curse of Tartu about a man who turns into a catfish um, I think <laughs> he, William Griffey grief or Griffey or whatever um, directed that he made a bunch of really wonderful low-budget Florida exploitation movies but anyway this stuff is all out there like it, it can all be got so I just grabbed as much of it as I could to build me a little portrait of here's America fair use baby uh, it's exactly what I'm hoping for. <laughs> hire me a lawyer. Yeah. But uh, so then like, you know, so here's America. Here's the here's really what it looked like. Um, and then here's what you know, here's all the people who were trying to basically fly away from it and couldn't because they were all stuck in local airports. Um, wow, that sounds very interesting. I'm really happy with it. Um, it's exporting as we speak. So I'm going to start sending it to folks for feedback before too long. Nice. And is that something you hope will end up on RogerEbert.com or anywhere? I, I think so. I mean, like, I think it could probably work out something. Like, I talked to, to Matt about this a couple of months ago when he was um, uh, doing a fundraiser for his puppet movie, which looks crazy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk to him for sure and just see what can happen. I don't know. Like, I don't know how much life something like this can have because it's so niche and weird. Uh, you know, like, I don't know. I'm sure that there's, like, a handful of nerds out there in the world who will go crazy for it the way that people are going crazy for Green Fog right now, that great guy Madden thing. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. So I don't know. It could have a life, or it could just wind up on Vimeo, uh, you know, with the Roger Ebert logo on it, which is totally cool. Either way, I just want people to see it. So that's right on, man. That's mostly what I did. Uh, the the thing that I saw this week that I was most uh, sort of uh, impressed by was a uh, very odd French western called The Reward. Um, New? Uh, no, no, from 1965. Okay. Um, and uh, it's just this my favorite Bowling for Soup song. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's uh, written about this movie. It's all the lyrics. There was Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. There was Max von Sydow. It's it's a crazy crazy thing. It's yeah. Max von Sydow's in it. Yeah. Um, it's Star Wars star Max von Sydow. <laughs> Game of Thrones legend Max von Sydow. That's um, a slash film headline. That's by right. By the way, if, you were, if you're not paying attention, this is very inside baseball film 
Twitter jokes, do you, but I, do you I like have it. listeners who aren't on film Twitter. I have no idea who listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> Besides my parents. <laughs> but the internet tells me it's it's a few hundred. At well, least. hey man. So hey. That's fine. I just have to assume that most of these people know that, like, when we mention Peter Serretta, they all know to instinctively slap their fucking foreheads. <laughs> no! Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. You should invest in a soundboard. Yeah. The Yoda button I'd press a lot. That's right. That's very right. good. Um, but uh, it's really wonderful. Uh, unfortunately, it's pan and scan. Um, so these really gorgeous CinemaScope compositions have sort of been truncated, ah. which sucks. But I don't know where you even find this is the this is the this is the, the film preservation conversation. These movies should be available. They're not they're not lost. They're there, obviously. I don't know. No one's made an effort. I guess. It sucks. Like studios just don't care. It's so wild to me. It would be like if somebody I don't know, like if you went to a car company and were like, Hey, can I have the plans for your like nineteen sixty seven model? Like, would they just not give it to you so you could rebuild it in, as a hobbyist? Yeah, I don't know. Would they? I don't I know. Have no idea. There's like protections <laughs> in place that I don't understand. But the point is, is that it's like super anti-art that they're just not like doing anything about these movies. This movie is gorgeous and weird. Are, are they just too focused on on what's ahead? That it's like even that doesn't make any sense to me. It's like it's like it's like the opposite of what Nintendo does. Work. Nintendo is like. We have this giant back catalog of games these people fucking grew up loving, yeah. and we'll sell it to them eight more times. Yeah. I bought games that I've owned on N64 on my Wii. I bought game on a Switch. Like it's like That's I bought the same game seven times. Like take advantage of me. Precisely. Like there, there are people who will pay to see these things, whether it's in theaters or at home, and they're just languishing, man. They're just not doing anything with them. I don't understand it. This movie was fascinating. It's incredibly weird and slow and kind of has that sort of, you know, sort of uh, French mid-50s kind of uh, uh, slowness to it. The director, Serge Bourguignon, uh, did Sundays and Sabelle, which uh, was put on the Criterion Collection, I want to say, a year or two ago. Um, and then he moved to America, and he made one film there in the in the mid-60s, and it's and it's great. It's What's it called again? Is it's it called, called Western? The Reward. A Western called The Reward. It's a Western called The Reward. Max von Sydow is a crop duster who crashes his plane into Ephraim Zimbalist's town, um, and... Uh, and they, and he basically goes right to the sheriff and says, "I can't fix the shit I broke with my plane crash, but I know there's a fugitive on the run." Um, so they go looking for him in the desert. It's wild. It's it's and like right away, there's like they they have to abandon their car and get on horses. It's just this very slow kind of like almost Camus esque. It, it, it's really great. I can't like if you can find it, watch it. I know it's out there because I I like I I was looking for it on one site that didn't have it, so I asked a friend who was a member of another and blah blah blah. And it really shouldn't feel this much like we're sneaking a file into prison trying to watch movies. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. honestly, we just want to see the goddamn work. Like why are you making this so hard for us? And then you're gonna like the threat. The, this is what kills me. The idea that like you would you could potentially go to fucking prison for watching a goddamn Max von Sydow western from 1965 <laughs> is the most insane thing I've ever heard. Just release the movies. Like we will pay for them. The, the only reason we're stealing them is because they're not we can't around. Get them. Exactly. Yeah, they're turning like, us all into criminals. Exactly. Like if you if you fucking pirate Interstellar, good. Go to jail. Like sure. you deserve to go to jail. You can go to a fucking gas station right now and buy that movie. I literally got it for four dollars on Black Friday. This is exactly I don't even point. like that movie. No, I just wanted to watch. I just wanted to watch it again to make sure I was correct. Yes, but I'll pay four dollars for that. That's my point. <laughs> this, like, you literally go to a CVS or a fucking dollar store. They have. I bought West Side Story on Blu-ray at a Dollar General. <laughs> I, I shit you not. 
Master and Commander, dollar store purchase. I fucking love Master and Commander. Master and Commander. There the was best. a period in this podcast history where I just had watched it for the first time. I was like gushing about it's it. It's amazing. It's I I saw it in theaters and I'll never and forget. And they wanted how, it to be more. Yeah, and, and they could have been. They'll never be more. It's a shame, man. I don't understand. Like post like Lord of the Rings, how you like how you thought you could lose money on an epic is beyond me. Yeah. Like that was like back I then. I still don't understand how the Lord of the Rings movies made so much money because. I guess Game of Thrones is the same thing. I just like yeah, I, I think it's just because I don't like it personally. Well, I that's just, like, totally I fair. No, no, no. Yeah. That's that's fair to understand. But that they way. were huge. And like, and that, they won Oscars and made money. Yeah. And there, there, there is like a, a a run up of films similar to that that nobody paid attention to, and since then that nobody has paid attention to. Like I thought, for instance, post Game of Thrones, that something like Michael Culhouse would kind of clean up in the home video market, but nobody talks about that movie. I like it might as well not exist. I don't even know what that is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was a uh, it was a film played con. I want to say 2012. Uh, Arnaud de Um Get this, Hannibal fucking uh, Mass Mickelson plays a knight. Whose uh, home is, or like his, his like crops get stolen while he's trying to sell them, and so he goes on this like righteous mission of revenge, like he just gets all his shit and goes around killing people. That sounds fucking amazing. It's, it's What's a, it called? It's called uh, 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 Michael Culhouse. Um, it's I hate movies with people's names. I agree. It's well, it's, it's better than Michael. <laughs> At least Clayton. call it jo- uh, Michael Culhouse of Mars. It's I, you know? <laughs> right. I love John Carter. I love John Carter. How never, did that never, movie? Never saw that either. You have to. How did that movie fail? But everybody, like I, I I'm, I'm sorry. Like uh, the the fact that we're all still having to have Harry Potter and Star Wars conversations and nobody likes John Carter will never not bother me. <laughs> it drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> They, you can blame, I don't know. I don't know who's to blame for that one. Because it's like, yeah, they named it fucking John, John Carter, Carter, which is stupid. I get it. But I don't know. But that movie was wonderful. And like actually genuinely filled with like real fucking like. I, I like Valerian. Uh, I didn't, but that's what I feel when I, like everybody who loves Valerian, that's how I love John Carter. Okay. So like I, like, I, don't, I don't make fun of people for liking Valerian, you know, like. Valerian's like maybe a horrible script. Uh, and Dane DeHane is a fucking plank of wood charisma. That's true, but that didn't stop Cure for Wellness from being great. <laughs> I didn't like Cure for Wellness either. Oh, I <laughs> but love I Cure for Wellness. You and Karen Hahn, man. Oh my God. Dude, Karen and I watched <laughs> that movie like, like on Blu-ray when it first came out. And we were just like the whole time like, what the, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe I need to watch it in that environment because it's it's just I wanted it to be so. It's so beautiful to look at. That's the whole. It's gorgeous, but it's like, what the fuck is this? Who cares? And it it's <laughs> a visual medium, Brett. Doesn't have to make sense. Just has to be pretty. Well, it definitely is pretty. I just like. I was just annoyed that the story didn't take any like crazy left turns or anything. It was just like what I thought was happening and didn't scene take two. Any crazy left turns. They're feeding eels to old people. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the means by which they do it is crazy. But like I'm like, yeah, I get it. He's being an inda- like I don't know. I just I wanted I'll, I'll watch it again. Yeah, I don't know. Get super high and try it again. Weird opening scene in the boardroom and shit. Oh, like, that's, <laughs> that's so stupid. <laughs> that I love that so though. Weird. But it's like it's 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 like you know what it is? It's like a weird like uh like uh it's 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 like Wolf of Wall Street, but like through like mid '90s Dario Argento, <laughs> sure that 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 sequence of it for sure. Yeah, it's wild. All right, so that's uh, your week was way more productive than mine. I don't have any notes of my week. <laughs> nothing, I nothing to write home about. I uh, I reluctantly joined my company's cornhole league. What is what? Do you know what that is? No idea. It sounds gross. People on the East Coast call it cornhole. In the Midwest, where I'm from, we call it bags. Just the game where you toss a bag and like bean bags. Yeah, like bean bags. Like, like it's like a tailgate game where you toss a bag into like a board 
and there's a hole in the board. You get it in the board at three points. Why do they have to do that to the name? Why couldn't they just <laughs> they fucking call it, call it Why bean do they bags? have to make it weird? Yeah, well, uh, I call it bags. But it's technically the league from Zog Sports, which is like a weird place for people who are in New York and have jobs who are don't have friends to make friends. <laughs> um, so I, my friend, this was the extent of the conversation. She goes, hey, if we did this, would you join? And me, drunkenly probably, and sure. not in a non-committal no commitment to be done at the moment. I was like, yeah, sure. Next thing I know, I'm on an email list saying, congratulations, yes. you're on the team. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. So, yeah, we had a game this week. And How did it go? Oh, I fucking crushed. That's why <laughs> I brought it up. That's right. New thing. New I thing. love bags. I'm, I'm very good. That's uh, uh, Yeah, so while you're sitting there pouring over archives and making <laughs> cool videos, I'm throwing a beanbag in a hole. With a bunch of strangers. Not all heroes wear capes. Have really boring jobs. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so, yeah, you said what you watched that week. So, I'll jump to what I watched this week. Yeah. Um, I'm leaving the Joe Avella-isms out. In between segments, we'll do like a little song that he just riffs. Ah. We don't need to do that. We'll save that for Joe. <laughs> for Joe's return. Yes. Um, what we did I watch? People one thing more. I started watching Broadchurch this week. Oh, how was it? BBC show from many years ago. Starring, what's that fucking guy's name? David Tennant. David Tennant. Doctor Who himself. Uh, I'm three episodes in, and it fucking rules. It's good. When I told my friend that I watched it, he laughed at me and said, isn't that just another British show about a dead kid? And yes, it is, but it rules. Yeah, well, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, uh, if you're I'm, good at something. I'm a sucker for that, like, well-made shows like that. Like, if they're like, I got, that show had me crying within within half an hour of, <laughs> of the pilot. And I was like, this is good directing you know mm -hmm. i just like they got me uh so it's it's pretty straightforward like kid is murdered who did it it looks like a suicide it wasn't uh maybe his dad's involved maybe this young kid is his friends involved it's just very mysterious you don't really have any answers yet mm -hmm. i'm fully on board um i wanted to watch uh counterpart this oh, week sure, the but JK i have so i didn't realize that that counterpart a show starring i think multiple jk simmons is so uh is already out and dealt like it's season one's over, I think. Really? I yeah. I saw I started seeing articles this week and then I looked this up. It's like, yeah, premiered in December and it's all available. What? So it's on stars, which is one of those things where it's like oh, well, that's why luckily I, I have stars, but no one I know has stars. No, I don't. So I will it's the try only thing to keeping me it. from watching girlfriend experience. I'll give you a login, dude. You oh, can watch thank it. you. I gave Charles Bermezco a login to watch Twin Peaks. I'm wonder, just as I, handsome as him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> you can you can get it. Um uh, so I want to watch that. I keep. I, I think Karen Hahn, actually, speaking of Karen Hahn, wrote about it. I think another person wrote yes, about it. Yes, Karen wrote. I just keep seeing things. People saying, it's fucking awesome. And it's crazy. No one's watching it. And that's how I felt about Banshee, which is on Cinemax. Word. Which, did you see Banshee? No. I, I, you I, take my login and watch Banshee. I will. I, uh, Therese Kelly Dunn is one of my uh, favorite people. I love her to pieces. I have such a crush on Therese Kelly Dunn. And she's on Banshee. So I've, I've wanted to watch it for oh, years. Oh, and she like the... the, the She's, Probably the gorgeous one. She's the, I believe her character's name is Siobhan. She plays Deputy Siobhan, something like that. Oh, sure. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's amazing. She's in uh, Aaron Katz Cold Weather, um, and she's in uh, the insane Owner Terkel film Applesauce. I love that movie. Oh, yeah? I really like that movie. Dude, Max Casella. That guy's great. I don't know. I, I've, I've only seen that. Turkle movie. Same, same. Um, I can't bring myself to watch any of this. I know. <laughs> Have you? So did, did you ever listen to Douglas movies? I know exactly you're where you're going. I brought this up on the last podcast I was on. Really? Yes. The owner Turkle episode yes, of, uh, of, of Douglas he gets, movies. He gets kicked off. If people don't listen to that show. Twice. He, he was kicked, kicked, off, kicked twice. off twice of this podcast. Once with Anne Heche's help. Right. That's right. That's right. I just don't remember... 
was Doug being a dick or was Owner being a dick? Uh, six of one. <laughs> On Doug <laughs> yeah. being a dick. Uh, six of one. Yeah. I mean, they were both being they were both being weird. I think that they didn't like each other. And Owner Tickell is a crazy person. I met him once at the complete unknown Metrograph after party. Mm. That movie's terrible. Uh, and I like ran into him, and he was drunk as fuck and hitting on a lot of people. So like, I get <laughs> why you would kick him off your podcast. Having said that, it seems like it's your job as a host to not kick people right. off. But I guess it'd be so abrasive. It's like, okay, get off. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of the, there's a Douglas movies where Max Landis is on oh with Kumail. Oh no. And Kumail roasts him immediately. That's amazing. And it's so good to hear. Oh, I gotta find that. Oh yeah, I, it's what it's probably behind Doug's paywall. At this point. <laughs> but it's uh, it's very good. Um, okay, so I yeah, that's what I watched and what I wanted to watch. I also watched okay, Dirty Money, Netflix new documentary. I've heard of this. It's good. Alex Gibney produced them all. I think. Um, oh, do you mean the Rainer Werner Fassbender of documentary? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this fucking guy. Is that what he said about That's himself? That's what he said about himself. Oh, he, 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 he went on, he, in an interview, he said, somebody called me that. I was like, yeah, you did. Yeah, that. you did just now. <laughs> you did that to your mirror. <laughs> My mirror called me. The, he was like, uh, Go so fuck yourself. This series is, is it's a, it, each episode I think is an hour, 15 minutes. They're, it's a documentary series meant to infuriate you. <laughs> it's uh, just about... That. Dirty. It's like there's a Martin Shkreli episode. Right. There's a H. Uh, there's all. If there's if there was some money scandal that happened recently, there's an episode about, about it. it. And the last one's about Trump. And watch Ooh. that one, man. Because if you think there's some part of America, clearly the point, the part that voted for him, they think he's like the epitome of like business success. Yeah. And this documentary just points out how fucking stupid people are yeah. for believing that because it's 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 been before our eyes since the '80s that this guy is a shyster and fucking just loses money and is good at getting debt and using debt to make more money. It's yes. just insanity. You will be so mad I if, bet. You, if you didn't know about I it. I will say, I will, like, I'll just... Even if you did know. Th I will throw this in there that, that um, okay, so I, I grew up in Pennsylvania and um, my uh, grandmother's brother, uh, my great uncle, lived in uh, New Jersey that entire time. So we would go to their, like, vacation house in Ocean City, New Jersey. So that meant for most of my life, I was constantly, you know, a stone's throw from Trump properties, which means that through my great uncle, who knew every contractor in the county, um, that everybody had a Trump story. Everybody got fucked over by Trump in oh, some way yeah, yeah, yeah. or other. He would, you know, there this would be exact point is touched upon in the movie. Like people being like, if you talk to anyone who's met him, yes, exactly, they will tell you that there's a uh, there's a woman named uh, uh, Sabatini. I forget her first name, but she owned a restaurant in Atlantic City. She was the only person who sued Trump and won that everybody knows about. To the point that when she died, her in her obituary in the in, the, in all the local papers, they said she was one of the only people who successfully sued Trump because she had as much money as he did. And wasn't afraid of like of the court process. Exactly, that cost a lot of she money, knew yeah. that like she could actually outlast him. And everybody was. And he's awful in depositions. That's oh. also a thing they talk well, about. Well, yeah, because he fucking <laughs> he talks just like lies, a, lies, 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 lies. He's like a chimp <laughs> who recently discovered the power of speech. Like, not, not, like words and values don't mean anything to him. Nothing, nothing has a fixed value. It's all just what it means in the moment. Right. Um. And 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 I love too watching him get older, where he loses even what little understanding of all that he had to begin with. He had charisma when he was younger. Well, he yeah, just is a he wasn't. He didn't. He didn't look like a bag of trash when he was younger he looked like the kind of you know rich disgusting queen's born sleazy you know gold plated everything precisely yeah like you it's know. a the they have the producers of the apprentice in this documentary saying like they 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 made everything gold like they were they were laughing at him while they were doing it right like this is so absurd that people believe this guy's anything and they right. that was the point because like he had been bankrupt by that point he had been the public guy he was a joke so that show to them when they were making it they're like 
let's just go all in on making like yeah, I'll make gold toilet, gold yeah, this. Exactly. Just like it's hilarious to yeah. us. And, and I love too the Whitney sending him the gold toilet as a, like a tribute yeah. to that history of that complete bankruptcy. Uh, it's it, it's amazing, and you know like uh, the, nobody nobody in Jersey doesn't have a Trump story. So the only people who were voting for him in Jersey were people who knew and decided to not care. Right. You know what I mean? Which so, there were. Oh plenty. yeah. Always. Always. That Hillary always, in her always. emails. Oh, forget Let about me it. tell you. Uh, she's just so cold. You know, why would I vote for somebody who wasn't fun to talk to? <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing I was supposed to watch this week and didn't was Altered Carbon, which I keep hearing interesting mixed takes on. I'm a fan of Joel Kinnaman. I think he has a nice kind of like earthy charisma. You mean RoboCop? I love RoboCop. It's good. Um, Hocus Pocus Focus is in it. Is that, that so? That song. Is in the new the RoboCop? song that's like... Yeah, yeah, nah, from Baby nah, Driver. Nah, you, yeah, you know it. Yeah. It's in RoboCop, too. Okay. There's, a, there's a scene set to that song. I, I somehow missed that. Um, I was I enjoyed that film. I like It's not te- it's not great or anything, but I, uh, I had fun. If you're, I mean... It's a corny movie. I mean, it's such a different movie, the old one. It is. Uh, it's, it's very much now. I mean, it's so obviously this. You know what I mean? I think the, yeah. the, only, the only reason I think I like it as much as I do is because it's not directed by Len Wiseman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> my <laughs> favorite comedy Bang Bang character. Oh, yes. <laughs> Len Wiseman. I'm a good-looking guy in my 40s. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. All right. So we are just having a ball here. We've almost been talking for an hour already, which is good hysterical. God, it's been long. We'll just do a bunch of quick hits on news. Uh, this is Bits and Pieces. Uh, Roxanne Benjamin, who you may know from Southbound, uh, secretly filmed her first feature called Body at Brighton Rock, and it has just sold to Magnet Releasing. Awesome. Um, It's a survival thriller that centers on a novice park ranger who must spend the night guarding a potential crime scene on a remote mountain trail. So that movie is coming. Awesome. Great. I agree. Um, We mentioned The Guy Who Made Eyes of My Mother, a movie that I really liked. Oh, Uh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Had a new one called Piercing. At uh, Sundance, or was that just happened? Yeah, and uh, the rev- I don't know. I don't have any news here other than that. Bloody disgusting. Who loves everything horror? Loved it. <laughs> um, really so <laughs> keep your eye out for Pierce. It's got Chris Abbott, who can be good when he wants to be. Yeah. Um, good in uh, a delicious. Yeah. Oh my god, that movie's so good. Movie's so good. Uh, a deliciously fucked up two hand. Two, I think he meant hander. He said two handset. Two handset. That's a <laughs> podcast, I believe. <laughs> Between a killer and a woman who won't get killed so easily. So that sounds cool. Awesome. Uh, that's nothing. Uh, I think this is funny that John Carpenter had to say this as if anyone thought it was fucking true in, in the other way around. He's He admitted that he has not seen all the Halloween sequels. It's like, yeah, why well, the fuck duh. would he? There's so, imagine him watching like the Cult of Thorn shit. Like, <laughs> like he doesn't care. Fucking Buster Rhymes. <laughs> um, so he said, you know, I talked about the Halloweens for a long time. The sequels, I haven't even seen all of them. I don't know what, I don't even know what really was there. But finally, it occurred to me. Well, if I'm just flapping my gums here talking about it, why don't I try to make it as good as I can? I could offer advice. I could talk to the director. I like the director very much. I like the script. So you know, stop throwing rocks on the sidelines and get in there and try to do something positive. That's him talking about his role on the new one, which is directed by David fucking Gordon Green. I'm so excited. And written by Danny, Danny fucking McBride. McBride. I can't wait. I uh, can't wait for it. He's definitely doing the score, but he said, of course, like he has to wait till the movie's done before he can Dude, see what they it's want. It's gonna be so good. Honestly, there's like, no way it's not fucking amazing. Right? I, I I confess, I love. 
like the original Halloween. It's it's one of my least favorite Carpenter. Um, sure. I mean, I lo- his, his catalog is so stacked. Right, that exactly. Even offend it's like me. your least favorite sexual experience. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I think it's still among my favorites, but that's okay. I, I You know what's underrated and so good? Christine. I, that, Amazing. That is one of my favorites. <laughs> it's so good. Christine is one of my favorites. Atta- I saw the th- Precinct 13 is one of my favorites. The score is definitely my favorite. The score to that is incredible. And you can tell that that movie is great because people are still trying to steal from it and don't really know what what was good about it. Like that's what I love. There were two horror movies in the past few years that stole from that movie. The Last Shift, which I liked that one too, and uh, yeah, Green Room as well, and uh, Irish one with the guy from Game of Thrones. Yeah, I know. Uh, Let us pray. Great movie. I like that a lot. That was written by my friend Dave Cairns and his wife Fiona. Is that right? Let us pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk about the movie a lot. I love that movie. That's a great one. Um, Yeah, David Cairns and Fiona Watson wrote uh, the first draft of Let Us Pray. I don't know how, like, how what wound up on screen resembles the original draft, but there's a lot of them in it. They're both big cult horror fans. Um, that movie would not exist without Assault Precinct 13. For sure. Oh, absolutely. Hundo P. And it's uh, it's terrific. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so Carpenter is involved in the next one. I'm, it's I'm shooting. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And I think that this is great, too, because I think he's become so disillusioned with filmmaking, but he still loves the music. And so the idea that you're going to have him on there to do the thing that he still clearly gets so much joy from, like, that's a win-win. That's yeah. terrific. That's such a great I story. I saw him on tour this Dude, year. Dude, I went so to Terminal jealous. 5. I'm so jealous. Dude, tickets day of were like 30 bucks on StubHub. Wild. Yeah, it was great. That's amazing. Um, so if uh, <clears throat> if Carpenter does that tour again, everyone should go because it's really we talked about it he's before. Amazing. It's literally him and a band playing his fucking music live. To in the background is his movies. It's right. fucking awesome. And unlike Goblin, he didn't like discover like Nightwish and turn halfway into a metal band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would. I I haven't seen Goblin live, but I've heard. The sense. new album, unfortunately, is just not that good. Ew, if they went and like did one of those like well, they hack re- bills, like we'll do an old album, please they, come. Yeah, sir, I would go if they were <laughs> yeah, just, would go if they were just gonna do Dawn of the Dead and Suspiria. I'd go. The problem yeah. is they need to reform. There's two Goblin factions right now. Um, mm, it's one of those like two yeses yep. are touring yeah, right that's now. Exactly yeah. right. Absolutely. It's uh, you can hear Morrissey play the Smiths, or you can play the you can hear the rhythm section play the Smiths <laughs> with the London Symphony Orchestra. Sure. It's yeah, it's not one of and them. one of them won't cancel. Exactly. <laughs> and, the, and one of them won't say something racist. <laughs> so shut your mouth. All right. Um, uh, I wanted to talk about Wesley Snipes and Blade because he's been talking about. Because Black Panther's coming out, he's talking about how he was almost Black Panther that in been the great. '90s. Would have been great, and yeah, it never happened. But it also led to Blade, which is nothing happening. To yeah, and Blade rules. Blade's great. So he, the news that people wrote up this week is that he said, "I am very much open to all possibilities. If Blade Four comes along, that's a conversation we can have. And there are other characters in the Marvel universe that, if they were to want to invite me to play around with, I'm I am with that too. I think the fans have a hunger for me to." Uh, to revive, uh, to bring back the Blade character, so that could limit where they place him as another character in the universe. I brought it up because I wanted to read excerpts from Patton Oswalt's AV Club interview yes, from many years about ago, Blade 3. where he talks about uh, where he talks about what a fucking nightmare it was to work with Wesley Snipes well, and how this. Disney in, would no would never hire him. No, is what I'm not. thinking. Well, like, well, I will say briefly before we get into this because I'm very excited about this. But anyway, um, <laughs> Wesley Snipes now, like like so many people who have just gotten out of prison, I think. Is is doing his best job at making it sound like uh, like he won't just take whatever in the world they give to him. Yeah, like any like he's not direct to video script. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Direct to Redbox movies right now. Yeah. Which don't get me wrong, 
I think Wesley Snipes is the fucking king. He's awesome at Twitter, also. He's great at Twitter. <laughs> if if tomorrow somebody said, I'm going to give you a ham sandwich, would you direct Blade 4? I'd be like, I don't even eat meat, but yes, I will. Yeah, like, down. I would kill people to direct Blade 4 with Wesley Snipes in it. I'm just saying that, and I'm very excited the idea that Wesley Snipes will be getting more work. Dude is amazing. Dude killed everything he did in the 90s. Like, there, was, there isn't a bad Snipes performance in the 1990s. Did you ever see, uh, what is it, uh, Money Train? Yeah. Money Train is great. People <laughs> love that Passenger, whatever, 57. Oh, Passenger 7, People love that movie, too. Um, yeah, he's he was good in everything. Uh, Wesley Snipes, uh, one of the great And I love finds. the Blade franchise. I even own Trinity for some reason. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I was a young kid, and uh, and uh, 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 Ryan Reynolds said cock-juggling thundercunt. He I loved it. He absolutely did. <laughs> I'm yes, sure I loved yes. it. A lot of people at my high school were big fans of that line. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And then he went out to play Deadpool, just so perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um... So this is I'm just gonna read. This yeah. is Pat Oswalt's response to talking about Pat Oswalt is my hero. Blade Trinity, yes. He's been so good to me. <laughs> oh Christ, that was the third Blade movie. And there's a scene where Blade goes in and confronts this guy for harvesting humans. That scene was supposed to be the whole base of the film. Blade is fighting for the last shred of humanity. But they thought that it was just so fucking grim to decide to just have Blade fighting Dracula. It was just one of those. It was a very troubled production. <laughs> Wesley was just fucking crazy in a hilarious way. He wouldn't come out of his trailer and he would smoke weed all day, which is fine with me because I had had all these DVDs I wanted to catch <laughs> up on. We were in Vancouver and it was always raining. I kept the door to my trailer open to smell the evening rain when I was watching a movie. Then I remembered one day on the set, they let everyone uh, pick their own clothes. There was one black actor who was also kind of a club kid and he wore this shirt with the word garbage on it in big stylish letters. It was his shirt. And Wesley came down on the set, which he only did for his close-ups. <laughs> Everything else was done by his stand-in. I only did one scene with him, but he comes on and goes... There's only one other black guy in the movie, and you make him wear a T-shirt that says "Garbage, you racist motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> and he tried to strangle the director, David Goyer. So later that night, Ron Perlman was in the city. Everyone who makes movies in Vancouver stays in the same hotel. It's like an episode of The Love Boat. <laughs> <laughs> Every time the elevator stops, you've got a different celebrity getting on. <laughs> like, hey, now we've got Danny Glover. <laughs> so we went out that night to some strip club, and we were all drinking. And there were a bunch of bikers there. So David says to them, I'll pay for all your drinks if you show up to set tomorrow and pretend to be my security. Wesley freaked out and went back to his trailer. And the next day, Wesley sat down with David and was like, I think you need to quit. You're detrimental to the movie. And David was like, why don't you quit? We got all your close-ups so we can shoot the rest <laughs> with your stand-in. And that freaked Wesley out so much that for the rest of production, he would only communicate with the director through post-it notes. And he would sign each post-it note from Blade. Uh, um, and then AV Club asked, so there's a rumor that he tried to stay in character the entire shoot. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> When I met him, I was like, hi. And he was like, I'm Blade. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Natasha Leone was on that set, and she was going through some kind of mental breakdown. Wes Wesley is all boundaries, and she has no boundaries. She played a blind computer expert. So the first scene they had together, she put her hand right on his face, and he just recoiled. It was <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. Uh, it's still going, I think. <laughs> if, you were, uh, if you were trying to be in character all the time as a vampire killer, being high all the time might not help. That's what AV Club said. Patton says, a lot of the lines that Ryan Reynolds has are just a result of Wesley not being there. <laughs> we would all just think of things from his say and then cut to Wesley's face not doing anything because that's all we could get from him. It was kind of funny. We were like, what are the worst jokes and puns <laughs> we can say to this guy? And then it would just be his face going, mm. <laughs> smiles are contagious. <laughs> it's so, so dumb. Uh, that was an example of a very troubled shoot that we made fun. 
Um, that's amazing. That's like the the best. The best movies are the ones that are like weird and boring to watch and don't make any sense. But clearly, the behind the scenes stuff is fascinating. Speaking of David Karen's, once again, the writer of Let Us Pray, he just wrote this incredible blog post about uh, Jan Troel and Dino De Laurentiis' remake of John Ford's The The Hurricane. Okay. Starring, I want to say Mia Farrow and like Trevor Howard and a bunch of other people. Okay, that movie was crazy. Everybody on set got STDs. They were all <laughs> hanging out on an island. They couldn't leave. Um, Francesco Rossi, the great like Marxist filmmaker, he was shooting second unit, and they were supposed to be shooting the waves, but he and his crew got drunk, and all the footage washed away. <laughs> 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 like making movies is fucking hard. It's dude. difficult. <laughs> like I've directed 20 feature films. It's not easy. Like even like I have no money. I've never spent uh, okay, the biggest budget I've ever had, swear to god, 3 grand. It was all crowdsourced. And every one of them presents its own problems. Like I only started drinking about halfway through my directorial career because <laughs> I just realized like this is crazy. What we're asking people to do is nuts. So like I've been in situations where I'm stuck in a summer camp with people for a week and it's the most fun ever. Like you just like really want people People to not get so drunk that they don't wake up hungover so that when you or that the footage doesn't wash precisely, away precisely <laughs> that the footage doesn't wash away anyway it's directing is is a ma like okay so this will be a good way to get into the tarantino thing later uh, on a film set you like people have to trust you because they are like in a place they don't know trying to memorize lines and be in character and have honest genuine emotional reactions to things and they need you to not be an asshole that's like rule number one don't be a fucking asshole to your cast. Don't make them drive cars that are not real cars. Yeah, this is a good transition. I'm going to go back to other news, but we'll skip right to the heavy stuff. Yeah. So Uma Thurman months ago now, like when the Harvey Weinstein stuff started coming out, she did this very ominous like red carpet oh like God, interview, I, which was awesome to see. It, it, it was. I've seen that kind of like anger and, and, and frustration before, and it's very frightening. It like really. Yeah, it was understated. It was like it was like these motherfuckers are going to get what's coming to them. And I haven't spoken yet, but I will. So watch out. Right. So that moment happened this weekend in a controversial op it's 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 in the opinion section which is bizarre very strange it's written by maureen dowd and people say she injects herself into it too much but if you get through all that the article makes a ton of well it's just it's an interview with uma thurman so she's revealing all the horrible things harvey did uh which we don't have to talk about because i think we all know what that's going to be like yes but I think the most notable thing, which I was already soured on Tarantino over the past several years, Word. as someone who's, I don't want to say, oh, else I've said it before, I'm sure, all my passwords are Tarantino this, Tarantino that. I was a fanboy. I watched everything like we all did when we were younger. Uh, hated Hateful Eight, hated Django, yep. and Glorious is my last of his that I love. Um, and I'm, I just, I don't know if I can watch his shit anymore after reading this. It's uh, really tough. I, okay, so here's the thing. So... A couple of months ago, I um, I re-edited his last like six movies because <laughs> there's stuff in them that I enjoy, and they in this exercise. Sally Menke died and ruined his movies. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't think she was doing him much favors anyway because okay. Kill Bill being as long as it is, there's no fucking excuse for that. The movie's way too fucking long. Sure, like both of them. There's that, that that's two movies is already like, are you fucking kidding me with this? Like, you're just not as good at this as you think you are. Mm -hmm. Like. The whole thing where, like, listen, don't get me wrong. Nobody loves watching people overact more than me. But the scene where she's there with, I want to say, uh, Michael Parks or Jeff Fahey or whoever it is, when all the makeup being the, like, Latin American horror, you know, manga or whatever, and he literally falls asleep in conversation and wakes up and goes, oh, what were you talking about? Like, 
that's unforgivable. <laughs> like you need to. You this is what an editor is for to be like you. Yeah. You don't need this much nonsense. You like there's hateful just, eight should have been like forty five minutes. Hateful eight in my cut is an hour and thirty minutes. That's about yeah. I will that's about as much you. as that movie I could take. Precisely. The, the the issue is is that every every he's in self indulgent prick. He is, and every every movie there the dialogue is hey. Weren't you that guy at Bull Run? Yeah, I was that guy at Bull Run. When you were at Bull Run, did you see this? Yeah, I was at Bull Run and I saw this. Like, just like, just fucking just say it. Like, just, just talk. It. I will never forgive him for literally casting Christoph Waltz as like to play the same role in two movies. In two movies. Exactly. It's insane. It's just one is a nice Nazi and one's a good, like a bad Nazi. Right. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. It's insane. And I just, I, I, I find his, his sexual politics lamentable. I find his racial politics, like, provocative to the point of, like, okay, you're just trying to get a rise out Dude, of America. Dude, the motherfucker wears FUBU. He thinks he's black. He <sighs> wants hate to it. be black. I hate it. It drives me crazy. I mentioned that on the podcast before, too. Like, I just genuinely, like, dude, like, own what you are. Like, honestly, the most honest thing he ever did was taking a cameo as him fucking self in the Peter Bogdanovich movies. The oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, but literally, it's just, like, those two are peas in a pod because they're both despicable, like, scum but they're also like like invaluable services in a lot of ways to the cinephile community i get it it's tough it's thorny and we have to be the ones to sort through wells fucking you know sorry bogdanovich fucking over orson wells and marrying the sister of his murdered widow like he left us such a crazy fucking thing to have to sort through so which is like why i don't think bogdanovich is talked about as a director and a critic the way that he was even 10 years ago because now we actually have to deal with it all for a long time we just put our blinders on and agreed that the work was the work and that's why woody allen was able to make movies from 1993 until 2009 i think now i think woody's gonna have a reckoning and i think tarantino might have a reckoning i sure hope um, so man because like honestly i don't know how you as a guy who you hear you know, I don't know how you think you're getting away with it. You're not. Yeah, I know. Like, well, I mean, again, though, if you are Woody Allen, who literally made a movie this year and his cat and is making another one right now, trying like to. you have skated by and you probably don't think you're infallible. But now I think in this new movement, they are. So let me just read from this, I guess. Oh, this is tough, man. So after it's a everyone should read this. It's called "This Is Why Uma Thurman Is Angry." It's on New York Times. If you can get section. through the Dowd prose, it's very good. <laughs> yeah, um, it's worth reading. But here are some charges she makes against Tarantino. Um, since the revelations about Weinstein became public last fall, Thurman has been reliving her encounters with him, and a gruesome episode on location for Kill Bill in Mexico made her feel blindsided as the bride and is determined to get her due, no matter for how long it took. Uh, with four days left, after nine months of shooting the sadistic saga, Thurman was asked to do something that made her draw the line. In the famous scene where she's driving the blue convertible to Kill Bill, the same one she put on Instagram on Thanksgiving, she was asked to do the driving herself. But she had uh, been led to believe by a teamster, she says, that the car, which had been reconfigured from a stick shift to an automatic, might not be working that well. She says she insisted that she didn't feel comfortable operating the car and would prefer a stunt person do it. Producers say they do not recall her objecting, which Good is Lord. fucking bullshit. Um, Quentin came in my trailer and didn't like to hear no, like any director. He was furious because I'd cost him a lot of time, but I was scared. He said, I promise you the car is fine. It's a straight piece of road. He persuaded her to do it and instructed, hit 40 miles an hour or your hair won't blow the right way and I'll make you do it again. That was a death I'll box. I'll make you do it again. I know. Ugh. That was a death box I was in. The seat wasn't screwed down properly, which again reminded, a lot of this make death me, proof. make me, death proof is fucking repulsive and I can't believe they yeah. made it. Um, it was a sand road and it was not a straight road. 
Thurman then shows me the footage that she says uh, has taken her 15 years to get, solving my own Nancy Drew mystery. And if you uh, click on this post, the video is there. I, I literally, I, I sat across, I work at a, a bar in Queens, uh, and I uh, one of my favorite regulars is just a great guy. He's a guy named uh, Mike Bell, and he is a big Tarantino fan. And I asked him last night, I said, did you hear the news? And he said, no. And I made him watch the footage, and I just saw the light just go out of him. He's like, that's tough. That's yeah, it's hard to be like, okay, I'm looking forward to that Manson movie now. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like... Um, so the camera, it's from the point of view of a camera mounted to the back of the car. It's frightening to watch Thurman wrestle with the car as it drifts off the road and smashes into a palm tree, her contorted torso heaving helplessly until crew members appear in the frame to pull her out of the wreckage. Tarantino leans in and Thurman flashes a relieved smile when she realizes that she can briefly stand. The steering wheel was at my belly and my legs were jammed under me. I felt this searing pain and thought, oh my God, I'm never going to walk again. When I came back from the hospital in a neck brace with my knees damaged and a large massive egg on my head and a concussion, I wanted to see the car and I was very upset. Quentin and I had an enormous fight and I accused him of trying to kill me. And he was very angry at that, I guess understandably, because he didn't feel that he had tried to kill me. Even though their marriage was spiraling apart, Ethan Hawke, who she was married to at the time, immediately left the abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky to fly to his wife's side. And this is what he said. I approached Tarantino uh, in very serious terms and told him that he had let Uma down as a director and as a friend. Hey, man, she's a great actress, not a stunt driver, and you know that. Hawk added that Tarantino was very upset with himself and asked for his forgiveness. Two weeks after the crash, after trying to see the car and the footage of the incident, she had her lawyer send a letter to Miramax, summarizing the events and reserving the rights to sue. Miramax offered to show her the footage if she signed a document Jesus releasing them Christ. from any consequences of any future pain and suffering. So she didn't fucking sign it, which is awesome. Uh, Thurman says her mind melt with Tarantino was rattled. We were in a terrible fight for years. We had to then go through promoting the movie. It was all very thin ice. We had a fateful fight at Soho House in New York in 2004. And we were shouting at each other because he wouldn't let me see the footage. And he told me that that was, all, that was what they had all decided. Jesus. Now, so many years after the accident, inspired by the reckoning on violence against women, reliving her own dehumanization to the point of death in Mexico, and furious that there have not been more legal repercussions against Weinstein, Thurman says she handed over the results of her own excavations to the police and ramped up the pressure to cajole the crash footage out of Tarantino. Quentin finally atoned by giving it to me after 15 years, right? Not that it matters now, with my permanently damaged neck and my screwed up knees. Tarantino aficionados spy an echo of Thurman's crash in his 2007 movie Death Proof. Aficionado. Yeah. Like it takes a fucking... The movie about where he kills women with cars, cars and there's a scene where there's a seat that's not screwed down where Rose McGowan... Rose McGowan of all people. Of all, all fucking Of people. all fucking people. The most, the most vocal of the Weinstein victims. Jesus. Um, so there's more to this. Uh, so as she sits by the fire of... Uh, she talked. They talked to 3 a.m. She's crying. Uh, when they turned on me after the accident, I went from being a creative contributor and performer to a being a broken tool. Well, that's the beautiful, beautiful fucking thing about this is that so many of these dudes treated film production and film promotion and filmmaking as essentially a method of self-aggrandizement to the point where it, the only thing that becomes problematic is when you decide you're not going to let them get away with all their shit anymore. Like, and that was just the way it was for years. I had a conversation with my dad. I mean, every, every, every couple of months we'd hang out and we'd say, I wonder what happened to this actress. I wonder what happened to this actress. Where's Greta Scacchi? Where is, you know, uh, uh, Deborah Winger? Where are all these people? And then... It, like, you probably don't want to know. Exactly. It's fucking horrifying. Exactly. And that's the like the fucking complete you know like like where 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 are all of the people who we were told 
we're going to be these new arrivals and discoveries that the publicity machines found all these people. I mean, whether it's, uh, um, oh, oh, help me out here, her name, uh, um, Sandrine Bonaire, or, or any of these people who were everywhere for 10 minutes yeah. and then vanished. And you're like, oh, well, yeah. they didn't want to fuck like, that. They didn't like want to fuck the right guy. If this happened to Uma Thurman, it could happen. It it has it happened to all of them. Is literally yeah. and I literally like I the minute I heard the Mira Sorvino news, I I I started making a video essay about her because I was like, I can't fucking believe that they did this. I cannot. I cannot fucking believe that in full view of everybody, they decided she, including Paul Sorvino, she doesn't get a career <laughs> of anymore. All people. I, I mean, honestly, I'm shocked that Paul Sorvino didn't find somebody to have all these fucking people killed. Yeah. Like. I I just I he still might he said into TMZ that he would kill I if he saw fucking him. <laughs> hope he does I don't think there's a jury in the land that would convict him I like that's a I, good point I I just don't I I don't even I don't even know what to like it, it it's infuriating and I'll, I'll like and we can we can maybe segue into the Farachi stuff with this but like oh it, I forgot about that oh Jesus uh, let me just finish up here because yeah, it's please, gross by all means. so this is what this is what really got to me to be like okay Tarantino's a gross piece of shit like you can misconstrue the car thing as like he was just an insane director everyone's an insane director this over the fucking line and really sells it home Thurman says that in Kill Bill Tarantino had done the Ooh. honors with some of the sadistic flourishes himself Jesus. spitting in her face in the scene where Michael Madsen is seen on screen doing it and choking her with a chain in the scene where a teenager named Gogo is on screen doing it Harvey assaulted me, but that didn't kill me. What really got me about the crash was that it was a cheap shot. I had been through so many rings of fire by that point. I had really always felt a connection to the greater good in my work with Quentin, and most of what I allowed to happen to me and what I participated in was kind of like a horrible mud wrestle with a very angry brother. But at least I had some say, you know. She said she didn't feel disempowered by any of it until the crash. Personally, it has taken me 47 years to stop calling people who are mean to you in love with you. It took a long time because I think that as little girls, we are conditioned to believe that cruelty and love somehow have a connection. And that is like uh, and that is like the sort of era that we need to evolve out of. Very powerful shit. Very fucked up. Please read that. Yeah. Um, you can talk about Farachi for a second. Uh, quick, I'm going to do a quick round of other stuff. Yeah. There are trailers out for Unsane. Very good. Steven Soderbergh's new fucking psychological thriller out March 23rd. So good. Looks amazing. Can't also, wait. his weird HBO. Mosaic. Mosaic. Weird. It's like watch on your phone type of thing. It's like a weird uh, doing interesting things with technology and the platform. And like it's a unique watching experience. Yes. I haven't watched it yet. I'm excited about it. Me too. Uh, Mute trailers out comes out Netflix the twenty third. Excited for that! I like Duncan Jones. Love Duncan Jones. And then Hereditary, the trailer, yeah. the A twenty four movie that everyone's talking about. I haven't watched it because I hear it's ruined stuff, so I'm not going to watch it. Uh, Larry Fessenden, new yes. movie. Oh, Larry, he's the making. Best. He's directing again. He's directing a movie called Depraved, contemporary reimagining of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, focuses on a field surgeon who suffers from PTSD oh. after combat in the Middle East and creates a living human out of body parts in the in the Gowanus. In Gowanus. In Gowanus. I will say also, as long as we're talking about modern Frankenstein, see Bernard Rose's Frankenstein. It's very good. Okay. Uh, it came out about two years ago to no fanfare whatsoever. It, it slid under the radar. It's amazing. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and we'll find out today at the Super Bowl, or I guess yesterday, if you listen to this, the day it came out, uh, whether Netflix did buy that third Cloverfield movie. Oh, yeah. And if they're going to uh, secretly release it. That one is called God Particle, but there's already another one. It's called Overlord. <laughs> um, and here's the synopsis. Like On the, the eve <laughs> of D-Day, American paratroopers are dropped behind enemy lines to carry out a mission crucial to the invasion's success. Dude, yes. But as they approach their target, they begin to realize there was more going on in this Nazi-occupied village and a simple military operation. They find themselves fighting against supernatural forces part of a Nazi experiment. 
fuck yeah. Dude, uh, this the, the Overlord, I literally was like, oh, like the Stuart Cooper. And I was like, oh, it literally is because it's Operation Overlord. That's yeah. fucking so cool. Sounds very cool. Um, I'm all about, I, I like, Cloverfield Lane was fine. I liked it. It was fine. I loved the original Cloverfield when it came out and all the mysteries surrounding it. Uh, I'm all for them churning out these movies and releasing them whenever the fuck they want. And like, I love not knowing that it might be shot already. Dude, um, yes. I'm in. Very good. The whole uh, thing, exciting. There's a new Purge movie. It looks Excited. Like it's, it's called The First Purge. There's a trailer and a poster, and it directly references the Trump administration. It has a MAGA hat that says The First Purge. That's fucking uh, genius. So I had... Purge is a series where their marketing is better than the movies. Uh, Each movie, except for Anarchy, except for Anarchy. Anarchy is great. Is that the second, second one? Second one's the best one. Um, I'm gonna say that each one I have, they've gotten marginally better for me, but I still want them to be better. I love the premise so much, and I hate that like even with the B movie turn that it took, it still isn't. Well, I gotta say, I, I, like I, I had absolutely no expectations whatsoever because I saw the um the, the purge is a is a is a bloom house. Am I am I wrong? You're not wrong. Okay, so uh, the first purge comes out, and I'm just like, oh, it's a haunted house film with a great trailer, like, and that's exactly what it was. It's 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 you know it's it's people in a house, blah blah blah. Um, I love that. Uh, Anarchy is very much just like uh the warriors on it's like a John Carpenter movie on a budget. Exactly, it's yeah. a, it's precinct thirteen, um, but out in the streets. It's 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 uh it's uh, silly, but it's it's really nicely directed. Uh, election year. Uh, is a little big for its britches. It, it doesn't really have anything to say. And it I know. I, loudly. I kept wanting it to do yeah, something. Maybe this one will. Oh uh, uh, Yeah, we'll see what happens. I've said that four times now. I hope ah! this next Purge is good. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's a Purge TV show, which Joe and I take credit for oh, because we, we talked about, about it on the podcast Purge, once yeah, m- years hilarious. ago. And now they're doing it. So we want our royalty checks. <laughs> that's, yeah, no, that's. I think you deserve them. I really want to make the next Purge movie. <laughs> the show sounds good. I think it's like the premise is, I think the Purge starts in, in the series and like, in like Staten Island or something, and it's yes. like it, it's it's from like local to national. Dude, that's great. Yeah, I, it, it's a, it's an endlessly uh, giving s- uh, scenario. The premise will never die, exactly. and I hope the movies catch up. Exactly. Um, F. Gary Gray, who just directed uh, Fate, Fate of the of Furious, the Furious. one point two fucking billion dollars. Jesus. Um, he's in talks to do a spinoff, which they're not calling a reboot; they're calling a spinoff. Of Men in Black. No. Um, I'm going to say no. I, everyone, no one will tell you that Men in Black doesn't hold up. It's great. Is it? Will you? I just Have don't you, care. When's the last time I, you watched it? I never it? cared. Um, okay. I was, I was literally I think just like, in fucking Disney World and ran the, the Men in Black ride, which oh is Oh my God. Yeah, it's the. Uh, I forgot about that. You yeah. shoot aliens with the. You do. Yeah, I that. Um, I think the first movie holds up. The second one, oh boy, probably does not. Uh, I didn't holds see- up as being bad. Yes, well, sure. <laughs> no one liked it. I saw the, the the third one. People liked. I didn't get. I uh, the third one. It makes me laugh because um, when I was in college, uh, me and my friend Tucker made these like absurd, just like dumb YouTube videos about time travel because like people in our class were taking it seriously and doing these like very deadly serious like set to. Uh, like the placebo cover of running up that hill, like like very serious time <laughs> travel stuff, you yeah. know. And so we were just like we were just laughing at that, and we made our own version of it. And in the thing that we made, I think one of us says time switch, and then we watched the Men in Black trailer, which came out like a year later, and it was like time jump. Like, they stole your shit. They stole our shit. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> Everyone's stealing from us. Everybody's stealing. Um. So I'm not for this, but I think. I mean, F. Gary Gray is a very good filmmaker, yeah. so... It's, it might be fine. It might be fine. All I'm saying is I'm mad because when the Sony emails leaked, the best thing that came out of that was finding out that they were pitching a 21 Jump Street Men in Black mashup. I heard about this. Uh, which 
I maintain is a fun idea and a better idea than this because those movies are fun. Well, honestly, all, all you need to do is 23 Jump Street and it's them fighting aliens. Yeah, like, and that's it's fine. Literally Men in Black. And they can, they own both. They can do it. They can do it. Um, maybe the, if this one's a success, they'll do that. Um, Just as long as Lord and Miller are behind it. Those guys are great. Those guys are great. Um, another bit. This is the second time Blumhouse is taking a comedian script and running with it. Okay. Um, at Marilyn Mudflap, if you follow him on Twitter, very funny guy. <laughs> His name is Scotty Landis. He writes for Workaholics also. He wrote a script, and Blumhouse is making it. And it stars Octavia Spencer, and it's directed. It's going to be directed by Tate Taylor, who did The Help. He can not suck, as yeah. evinced by Get Up or uh, oh, Get On Up. What is it? Right, the, the one, the James Brown, the James Brown doc. doc. It's or a movie, good. not a doc. Um, so this movie, let's see what it's about. Trying to plot details are sparse, but Deadline understands Octavia Spencer will play a lonely woman who befriends a group of teenagers with torturous consequences for the kids. Uh, I'm all for Blumhouse buying up scripts from people who you not expect, whereas I want them to buy something I write one day. Ah, same. Um, so we'll see. Um, and before we get to the main event, I guess we talk, I don't want even want to waste fucking Jim, breath talking about Farachi. I, he sucks. I'll just okay. Here's what quick I'll do. summation. Quick, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Devin Farachi. Wrote for Worst all, Man in America, Death or Birth Movies, Death. Yes. Before that, I forget what it was called. Badass Digest. Badass Digest. The he's, whole thing is just. He's the worst. Stupid. He's like if like the Reddit troll comment section was a person. Yeah, 4chan grew arms and legs. Yeah, he's just a prick. He was always preachy about sexual assault and stuff, and then it turns out he was an abuser, and he's since disappeared. But he reappeared yeah. in a fucking PBS documentary. This he week. reappeared twice. Okay, so let me just okay. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this like a like a. I'm gonna do this as quickly and succinctly as I know how to. Sure. Farachi, I heard from many critics that when you went to festivals, uh, female critics would obviously talk to each other and they'd say, yeah. "Hey, don't get in a car with this guy, or don't be alone with this guy." Blah blah blah. They spoke to each other because they wanted to protect each other because nobody else was looking out for female film critics, and that's right. still true, by the way. Like, there's still no. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, blind spots to the whole industry, right. and uh, it allowed abuse to flourish. So, everybody knew he was a piece of shit, but because women not unreasonably believed that nobody would listen to them, it just didn't get out. And finally, somebody, a brave fucking hero who I follow on Twitter and I love to pieces, said, Hey, Devin, do you remember when you did this to me? Because he was calling out the president for the pussy-grabbing stuff. And she... He really... He really... Died by his own hand Didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he? Literally by his own hand? Yeah. So, he... He says all this stuff like, oh, God, this is disgusting that the president does this. Woman on Twitter says, hey, remember when you did this to me and laughed about it with all your friends? He said, I don't remember doing that, but I believe you, and then vanished, kind of. Yeah. Birth Movies Death and Alamo Drafthouse, for whom he was sort of their little poster monkey, um, he would like go and introduce films. He was in the Hodorowsky's Dune film. He, yep. he was their public face, basically. They say, we're firing him. Then they didn't. They fire didn't. Him. They, they didn't let fire him program a festival, I believe. And they let him write the blurbs. They let him do what he loved doing. And that's the worst part. Of Secretly. It. Secretly. While publicly While being like. While taking credit mm. for having fired him, they kept him on. Which Pretty is more so disgusting than I know it does. Of draft houses. Fuck also. that guy. Yeah. I hope Tim League is fucking just. I, I don't know. I, like, there's a fucking special place in fake hell for people like him. I don't yeah. even know. Like, nothing, nothing we could do to Tim League would actually make him understand what a disgusting fucking, like, charade. It was he a was bad playing. thing to do. It was a disgusting thing that he did. It was gross. And then 
So they, we all found out they didn't fire Farachi. They just, like, pushed him to the side and pretended they weren't paying him. And they were. And I fucking hate them for it. And I hope that, like, honestly, I don't know why Neon hasn't said we fired Farachi. Yeah. Or, sorry, we fired Tim League. Because Tim League doesn't really work for them, according to a handful of people I've talked to. But at the same time, why won't Neon just say it? We all hate Tim League. He's a fucking asshole. He lied to people about the one thing that fucking matters anymore, which is the fair treatment of women. Like, it's literally, this is the hill we're all here for and Tim League for some reason and, and Neon have decided that they're just going to keep pretending that he works for them I don't know why I don't know what that buys them I don't know if they, they're doing it as penance regardless I hate Neon and I really don't want to because they produce and distribute a lot of really important stuff Beach yeah. Rats is a great fucking movie yes. and it, 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 it makes me sick to my stomach to think that Neon and Tim League are benefiting from what a great work of art that is and I just hate the whole situation it, it, it's disgusting so then we find out that there's a documentary coming to PBS where they've spoken to Farachi's accuser, who is incredibly brave and strong, and they've also spoken to Farachi. I don't understand why you do that. I don't know why you yeah. give airtime to a fucking abuser. I really don't get it. I understand that you want to have this conversation, and you want us to get out of this like thing where we're not... I don't know. People accuse me all the time of not wanting him to have a second chance, and I'll cop to it. I don't want him to have a second chance, because he was a piece of shit before we found out he was a sexist. The sexism was just the fucking icing on the cake of him right. being a complete dickhead to absolutely everybody all the time, relentlessly. He fucking uh, uh, fought Latino critics for having uh, taking issue with Suicide Squad, which he then hated. Like This is all in the run-up to things. He told friends of mine to kill themselves on Twitter for no other reason than they disagreed with him on movies. He is the worst, and I hate him, and I want him to to have to suffer for what a public asshole he was who was rewarded for the worst behavior imaginable for years. And if this one brave fucking woman hadn't stood up and said, hey, Devin, you do this, then we would still have to deal with him. And frankly, the fact that we are dealing with him and we have to see him on PBS looking all nice in a suit with his hair combed and his beard trimmed. <laughs> like, I hate everything about this news and I want him to go away forever. I can't deal with Devin Faraci. He is the worst of us. And for a long time, he was allowed to be the sort of weird public face of like populist criticism. And I hate that that's true. And I hate that anybody has to know about him. And I hate everything about him. He may have been a good writer at one point. I don't remember that, frankly. I hate his writing. I hate his point of view. I hate his dumb fucking face. I think people like, like the people who his like cult fandom well it's not even i don't know they like him because they make uh he makes liking superhero movies or like disliking the right, right, right sound smart to them right. like with his prose which i thought was garbage it's terrible it's always been know. terrible honestly the same site that gave us film crit hulk also asks us to take devin farachi seriously and it's not like that site doesn't have good writers Britt hayes and siddick you know like i, yeah. I they, they're, they're like Sid and Britt and a handful of other people, like, really smart, intelligent, like, uh, there are good people who write for that site, and I'm not going to tell people not to write for anything except Fandor, because I hate Fandor. Um, I have a Fandor story, too. We'll talk about that off mic. Please do. Uh, 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 Fandor, <laughs> I view as crossing a picket line, basically, because they fucked off, uh, like, they, they fucked with a lot of really intelligent people, and uh, they deleted our work, which is unconscionable. And yeah. there are people who still, like, I get it. You need the money. I'm not going to, like, argue with you about this. I just can't take anybody seriously anymore who writes for Fandor knowing full well what they did to all of us. Having said that, Birth Movie's death, it's not – you go where the money is. You have to. As a freelance film critic, you have to go where the money is. I do not fault anybody for writing for that website. Having said that, I will never forgive them for making us deal with Devin for as long as we had to. I – 
he still writes in his letterbox. He still writes. He still gets to do exactly the things that he was doing beforehand. He's just not getting paid for it. And we're supposed to be like, oh, poor Devin. He's living on his friend's couch. That's what you have to do when you're a fucking rapist. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you have to spend some time on a friend's couch. You have to be the most hated man in America because you have to actually learn. And Devin hasn't learned a fucking thing because the first opportunity that somebody said, hey, you want to be in front of a camera to talk about yourself? He said, yeah. You got a haircut. Yeah. Ugh! Yeah, all right. So fuck Devin. Fuck Devin. Let's move on. We're moving on. Uh, this was a great episode. We never even mentioned what the main event is. Jesus Christ. Sorry. Oh God. <laughs> the, ti- the title will say it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine? It says Winchester and you have to listen to me fucking ramble. It's been literally 90 oh, minutes. Oh <laughs> my God. I'm so sorry. No, this is, so this is one of my favorite episodes. Oh this is great. God. Um, so we can talk about Winchester. Before we talk about Winchester, I want to talk about the Spirit Brothers. Yes. Um, the Spirit Brothers... Uh, you may remember, podcast listeners, that I was excited for Jigsaw because these two guys were behind it. Yes. I mean, it turns out they were very much like director for higher capacity. But that's exactly what you want. Sure. In that capacity. Yeah. Um... I didn't hate Jigsaw. I didn't love Jigsaw. Same. It's a Saw sequel. It's fine. It's fine. And they honestly, did what they could with Saw it. Saw 5 and Jigsaw are the only good Saw movies. I'm trying to remember if I like 5 or 6. There's one of them that I like. 5 is the one with the... It's, it's, it's the blue collary. Yes. It's, then, it's, it's, yeah. it's, the, it's the quieter one. Yeah, that's the one I like. That's then. the good one. Maybe I've been saying Dave, 6 this David whole time. David Hackle. Uh, David Hackle, who did the uh, sort of bewildering, but also kind of fun, uh, Inside the Grizzly Maze. Do you remember that? Uh, it was also called uh, Big Red Machine in some territories. Anyway, James Marsden uh, goes hunting for a uh, giant killer bear. That sounds fucking amazing. Why haven't I seen that? It's not as good as that makes it out to be, but it's not bad. It's okay. fun. Billy Bob Thornton's in it. Interesting. It's it's it's, it's a, I like Billy Bob Thornton of Monsters Ball. That's right, Monsters Ball. Um, Big uh, the, uh, Richard Linklater's Bad News Bears. That's right. <laughs> William Robert Thornton of the Box Masters. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nathan Raven. The Sling Blade. That's right, uh, Sling Blade. Um, Sling okay. Blade is in uh, Into the Grizzly Maze. Also, Thomas Jane and somebody else. Thomas, I just want my kids back. Jane. Thomas, I just want my kids back. Yes. Oh, I forgot about that reference. It's so good. Stander himself, Thomas Jane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, I love Tom Jane. I met Deep him Lucy. at a, my cousin worked at an art gallery in LA and he was like a judge of some art and it was literally just me and my mom and like Tom Jane in a room. And it was right when the mist came out. So ah, I was gushing that's amazing. about the mist. And I, I, I just want my kids back. I huh? want my kids back. He signed some comic book oh, I have. That's I don't so know. funny. Um, okay, so Saw 5 is good. 5 is you good. You said Jigsaw is good. I didn't love Jigsaw. Jigsaw is... Uh, okay, okay. Uh, let me, it does, it's fine it's, until it's denouement. It's, it's fine. Is that what you're going to say? I was go- well, uh, listen. Uh, okay. Here's, here's, I think, where my approach to these movies differs than just about everybody else. I go into a product like Jigsaw, and it is product. It's, 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 it's handsomely directed. It's got some nice visuals. It's got a clear understanding of what a camera can capture. It's got good performances, especially from one Mr. Callum Keith Rennie, Canada's own, um, although yes. born in Sheffield, England. Uh, thank you, Neil Young, for that information. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's... Literally two talented guys. Okay, let's go. Let's go to the Ebert review real fast for Undead. Yes. Ebert spent all of his review of Undead talking about how silly the movie was in many ways, um, and he's not wrong. It's a silly, silly fucking movie. And after a great, you know, uh, uh, you know, six, seven paragraphs of kind of taking the piss out of this movie, he then says they're talented. He's like, they're obviously talented. They'll get yeah. work, which is amazing that Ebert could, by the way, see that, that this movie is bad, but these guys were talented, and that's true. They have a great visual sense. And so they get a hold of Jigsaw, which is a movie that nobody needs, in the same way that Leatherface was a movie that nobody needed. However, well-directed. It's literally you take something that nobody wants or needs, and you make it bearable. And that's they've done that. Uh, um, um, 
I agree with you on Jigsaw. I do not. Did you like Leatherface? I did. Okay. I did. In the same way that I, I I liked it better than Jigsaw. I don't think Jigsaw is a good movie. I think it's a. I think it's the best. They're both not good movies. I think the Jigsaw is the best imaginable outcome of we've got a little bit of money, we've got a couple of talented filmmakers, we've got one great character actor, and we've got a premise that we don't know what to do with. We know that people go to these movies, so we have to make them. That's the studio yeah. logic. People will uh, see a song. 100 million for that so, off of go. like a four something budget. Hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. Because you can see, <laughs> and the beautiful thing too is that the Spirit Brothers are such competent, uh, you know, I would love to talk to them. Bordering on great filmmakers. Um, that every little thing, honestly, the thing that like 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 right away that like let me knew that I was in safe hands is there's a, a shot of the guy um, when he's escaping the police in the beginning, which first of all, yeah, on the great, roof. great little set great piece, great opening, yeah, yeah. He 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 runs out of the um the the stairwell onto the roof. That shot of him with just like uh, literally, it's seconds long, yeah, beautiful sunset behind him, L- the, like a little bit of lens flare, not J.J. Abrams lens flare, but just like a little bit, and it just kind of streams over the thing and this guy running. It's just like oh my god, what a beautiful little composition in this movie that in no way deserves it. Sure. But that's the thing. You hand these... There are more than one of those moments throughout. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even the laser stuff. The laser stuff, it, it's a very silly conceit, but it looks really nice, and they did yeah. a great job with it. And Callum Keith Rennie gets to just, like, you know, act his balls off, you know, just like, <laughs> just like do such a... Where that movie falls apart for me, which is not their fault, it's the script. It's, it's the script. It's the dumbass, like, oh, this is a Saw movie, so we have to we say have this to, is 10 yeah. years ago. Uh-huh. This is 8 years ago. Yep. This is where Jigsaw's... It's like their way of explaining... The twist is has been the same for the past like five of them, <laughs> and that's and that's and that's the saw disease. You're yeah. you're, you're never gonna make a good movie out of this because template. the original twist was so good. They want to make a movie with a twist every time, but most of them don't need it no. at all. And frankly, at all, <laughs> I, I, I I commend them enormously for throwing out the stylistic playbook of the previous fucking seven movies. Because other than five, which does have a really nice color palette and a decent sound design, which I credit to the director David Hackle, um, who I do still hold out hope for great things from um he uh, you can't do anything with the saw idea which is hideous colors oh, the, the fucking the the they they go into after effects and just ramp up the oranges and the greens to the point where yeah. you're literally you're looking at vomit the entire time like yeah, that's what the ugly. saw movies saw seven especially one of the most ugly feature films is that the final chapter yeah, ever released bad. that one's bad it, it, it all looks bad and the effects are terrible they look bad they look disgusting uh, it, it, they don't they knew at the end of that, that literally that's how fucking hilarious this was it's supposed to be the end of the chapter or whatever the end of the saga and it's the worst film in the entire series and right. that is saying something yeah saw three ends with a man drowning in pig innards like yeah. I, it, and the fact that you somehow managed to top that with awfulness just by not caring is that's a feat you know, like, yeah. honestly, I don't know how those guys sleep at night that they made those movies. <laughs> like, James Wayne has so much to answer for. I, yeah. I, I... He's responsible. I hate that guy. Oh, I love him. Really? But, um, I, I mean, I haven't liked his last... I mean, I liked... I, I, I love Insidious. I love really? Conjuring. Yeah, I like all that oh, studio. Man. I think studio horror is finally fun. I, I agree I with know. you uh, as far as it goes, but I really don't think he's a good director. <laughs> um... Conjuring 2 is so James Wan. It's like, it's clinical. It's like, yeah. it, it did It did ring to me as almost to see so it. true it's false. Okay. Like, it's like, oh my God, like, this, this shot is so, like, it's like a parody of himself. <laughs> um, but I enjoy that he has, like, he knows what camera, he knows how to make a horror movie work for can an I, audience. Can for, I just say that he's, he's like, 
he he reminds me. His Fast and Furious movie is terrible. It's awful. The the wor- the only Dude, one I've like Death Sentence really didn't is like. terrible. Yeah, Dead, Dead Silence, Silence is, is terrible. Bad. Yeah, the, the 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 shot in The Conjuring where he's got this cinemascope frame that he is abusing and he's zooming into the girls as they're walking down the road i'm like james what are you doing james what are you doing james what are you doing stop (laughs) this this is not why a camera was invented for you to just pretend it has no limits that movie should have been shot in four by three to be honest with you like he does nothing with the scope frame frame, nothing the whole movie's set in a goddamn house it's claustrophobic and he's got the frame out to fucking here it's like he's shooting lawrence of arabia I, i i don't understand it i really don't anyway um, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about aspect ratio. That's fi- why you've tuned why in. Why are you filming in scope, you dingus? No, yeah. <laughs> I usually, I usually would say always shoot in scope. But I guess when you're talking about a claustrophobic, sure, I understand why you'd want a flat ratio. If you're that. going to shoot in scope, you have to have something in mind. You can't just you can't do just it. shoot in scope. You can't yeah. just shoot in scope. You can't just like shoot in scope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I would love that show. Be, by the way, yeah. if it's just like like it's a, two catty girls talking about like it? really. What's the name? Um, the gentleman show. who does uh, uh, Linda Belcher. What's his name? Oh, uh, 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 my son Mintz? is gay. Dan, Dan. Uh, it's not Dan Mintz. He, that's that's Tina. Um, uh, Eugene Merman. No, uh, uh, John. It's John something. He yeah, does those great videos where he's the he's the, the mom from Staten Island. Oh yeah, yeah. My son is gay. Or the Christmas yeah. tree. I think it, I would I would pay him to do a thing where he's like. He just talks about filmmaking like that. Like you can't just shoot in scope. <laughs> you can't just shoot in scope. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh my um, god. Okay, so you like Jigsaw? Uh, Jigsaw's fine. Jigsaw's fine. I don't. It's not a great movie. I don't remember Undead at all. Undead is bad. It's very yeah, bad. I it's, remember. Uh, I remember seeing it. I remember being like, that was bad. Same. Same. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, hella stupid, but uh, great visual sense. Okay, and then the Spirit Brothers. They take it. a long time off. They and then they come back with was that Daybreakers? No, no, no. Daybreakers or, was two thousand nine. Like yeah, I remember yeah. that. I forgot about Daybreakers. They, I was trying, I was getting right to the one I want to talk Daybreakers about. Daybreakers. Really, Daybreakers. I liked. It's very good. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's it, it. Um, it's like a vampire movie. I'm trying to think. It must have been after True Blood, but it's similar it was, to True Blood yes. in a lot of ways. It, 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 like it's, the synthetic blood. It's kind of funny to me that there was a time when when a world ruled by vampires was like a novel conceit. Anymore, yeah. that's like that's just like the the lifeblood of genre cinema. It's very strange. But um, Daybreakers uh, is interesting in a way because they introduce all these sort of like fetishistic, stylistic ideas where like it's like it's vampire world, but it's also kind of like the film noir fifties in a lot of ways. Like there's a fat detective um, who <laughs> he just like seems like he fell out of the big heat in a way. Like he's just like an old school noir cop. I kind of dig a lot of the stylistic ideas behind Daybreakers because it showed essentially that their love of genre cinema, which they introduced almost too much in uh, Undead, is not without merit. And, and they're trying to do something productive with it, which I really enjoy. Uh, Willem Dafoe giving a great kind of overacting performance, same as the Callum Keith, Rennie, and Jigsaw performance. It's this thing where they're just, I don't know, Daybreakers is just fun. It's, it's a fun movie that, sh- you know, you hear the premise and you th- know the genre you're like okay this is probably gonna be stupid but it's like it works it does it really does it works in its own hawk doing kind of soulful work um sam neill having a great time yeah it's i think that they're great because they offer um you know serious actors a chance to have fun in the context of you know kind of silly knowingly silly but also very entertaining and well-made genre films um so daybreakers got me back on their team after the sort of uninspiring undead back in the day um, but again, it, they were in Australia, and it, like you know, like uh, Land of the Dead had just come out, and Twenty Eight Days Later, and uh, the remake of Dawn of the Dead had all these people interested in zombies. I get 
yeah. Land of the Dead. As violent Lucas says of Jaws, I accept. I un- remember Land undead. of the Dead. Dennis Hopper doing great green work. Green shit. Oh my yeah. God, it's so funny. <laughs> you fucking idiot! You got the keys. I love yeah. it. That performance. I own that movie on probably full frame DVD. Ah, I, used to buy those. I I'm love it. Oh uh, well, what are you gonna do? The fact that they sold us full frame DVDs. I know it's their fault. It really is. <laughs> Honestly, like that's 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 capitalism in a nutshell. When the aliens come for us, like, and they say, "Why should we spare you?" and they find our full frame DVDs, they're gonna be like. Oh, we we can't. You're doomed. You fucking blew it. You fucking idiots. You watched Spider Man full frame? frame? Yeah, I did though. Yeah. No, I mean it was my just... TV was full frame. We the didn't DVD's know. We didn't frame. know any it makes better. Sense. We didn't know to look for widescreen. Honestly, we didn't know. And so much of America. I, do you remember? I remember finding VHSs in my house that say widescreen. There's yes. a handful. Yes. Like the, late the, the 90s. black bars. People. I remember people like returning their TVs because they thought they were broken. Did yeah. you hear those stories? Yeah, I do. So there was a featurette that. on TCM back in the day. This is my favorite thing ever because it introduced me to Michael Mann talking head. And it mm. was a bunch of filmmakers uh, talking about why you need widescreen. And it's Curtis Hansen and Martin Scorsese saying, you know, you wouldn't want to see the, uh, the Last Supper in uh, You wouldn't scandal. pirate a car. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. Sorry. <laughs> Fuck you, Dan. Unrelated. Anyway, uh, no, but they would say, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pan and scan the Last Supper. In the beginning of this ad, Michael Mann is there and he says, they call it letterboxed because it's like a slat you drop an envelope in. And I've never forgotten. <laughs> that is Michael Mann to me. Is is guy dropping the mail in a slot? Yeah. Letterbox is kind of. They a call mailbox. it a letterbox because it's like a slot you drop your mail in. <laughs> so wait, they really say the, the really... pan and scan Last Supper is a good example though. No, it's a great it's example. Like it get, really gets it. This is they used to run this uh, uh, once a day on TCM for a long time. That's awesome. I used to see this whenever I would TiVo things. I don't think I watched TCM when I was younger. Oh, you I was like you missed H- out, baby. Yeah, I was an HBO. Oh sure, whatever's on HBO guy. I, I we, watched... our town had this was before cable boxes. You just had regular cable. Channel four was HBO. Heard, yes. And channel twenty was Showtime. That's right. And they, we didn't pay for them. It was just one of those things. The whole town had it, That's and eventually amazing. it went away. I remember when I got uh, free HBO. I watched softcore porn for the first oh, time. Oh yeah, real sex. Compromising uh, situations on Showtime. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching <laughs> the Red Shoe Diaries. I remember, you know why I remember the Clint Eastwood movie Absolute Power? Oh my god! Because there's tits in the opening scene. You're goddamn and, right. And I was younger. The President Gene Hackman. President Gene Hackman. Yeah, murders President that woman. Gene Hackman's fucking a lady, and yeah. then she dies. And then Clint Eastwood has the most <laughs> hilariously unconvincing jog ever filmed. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite moments in cinema. Is Blood work is also bad. Most a lot of his movies are bad. Yeah, but they're fun. Yeah, I I, I have to I say remember I'm not really excited for the for the, the 15 whatever to Paris. Like yeah, the 15, that looks 17 bad. to Paris. But Sully was with good. non-actors. Non-actors. Sully was good. Sully was very good. Sully was good. And it like it was perfect. It's like under 90 minutes. It was Dude, like this movie rules. It really does. <laughs> and, it's, and like that that kind of thing where Clint Eastwood is just like, hey, you want you want to see some people see a flight? I saw Hereafter. <laughs> Did you? I people keep telling me to unloved lo- I kind of like I it. have to see it because people keep telling me that's the Clint to unloved. Yeah, it probably is because I'm sure it got panned. It I, did. It worked for me when I saw it. Got panned and scanned. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, when I was a projectionist, I the, the first movie I ever scratched really badly was uh, Incendies. Well, no, not Incendies. What's the... Invictus. 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 Not a bad film. Scratched the shit out of it. The oh, full boy. movie. Vertical scratch. Ooh. Got a write-up for that one. Sorry, Clint. Evanston had to Evanston movie theater had to order another print Ooh. because I fucked it up so bad. You fucked up Invictus. Oh, yeah. those poor white people can't see their movie about <laughs> soccer. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, but no uh, one. You find out 
no one even notices scratches unless you're like a projectionist. That's true. I've walked out of movies back in the day because of it's, because it's of the motion smoothing TV thing. Oh, that yeah. People don't know until you tell People them. People think that's what HD looks like. It I did this. Me insane. I did this for a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, "I don't notice the difference." I was like, "You fucking philistine!" Like, are you kill- <laughs> kidding me? It's like a soap opera, like behind the scenes when you do that. Dude, I don't even I, understand. I, honestly, they ruin. They literally like I watched um, Psycho on a motion smoothing TV before I knew what ha! was happening. And I was like, why is the, there, 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 it was like, it was like jittering. Yeah. It was like an MP3 skipping. Yeah. On a no, CD. No, it's bad. I watched Harryhausen on a motion smoothing TV. It, it was like, it was, it That's was why I always offensive. tell people to buy, when the, well, I have a projector now, but like I would, when I was buying TVs, I'd always buy Samsung because I don't think they ever have defaulted. Maybe I'm Thank wrong. Thank God. Somebody's got to fucking that. stop that trend. But uh, uh, everyone go to your parents' house, go to their TV. Turn off motion turn smoothing. Turn off motion smoothing or they, they call it something else a couple they do. times. They do. They, they, they figured out what we were up to when yeah. we changed it. There's an it's option. called like real motion. Or real motion. Like There's just turn it off. Turn it's it off. wrong. Turn off all the settings. It makes your HD look like you're watching behind the scenes crap, and it's not right. It's and disgusting. people think it's right. It's not. No, it's not. And they think okay. you're watching it better. So, uh, to Daybreakers was good. Day I remember I worked, at the, I worked at Evanston Movie Theater when that came out. Saw it a couple times. That's I liked great. it a lot. It's a lot of fun. Um, 2014, right when I moved to New York. Predestination, baby. Predestination, which. Uh, never got an, uh, never even got a proper theatrical release. I it think may it, have been in theaters in New York and L.A. I believe it played a week. A week. It, that's the qualifying right. Thing it got like for a here's a movie. Awards, yeah. exactly. Um, but I think it was mostly a, it was a VOD. It did not release. get a wide release. No. Most people don't know it exists. I remember hearing about it because an old, uh, not like a physically old, <laughs> a person I used to work with, a person I used to work with was like I watched this movie I never heard of on uh, VOD. It was called Predestination. It was really good, and I. I it had flown <coughs> over my under my radar. Uh, I watched it then, and maybe podcaster listeners, you can tell me if what we said about it because I don't remember. But I don't remember why I didn't make a fucking huge deal about it because I wa- I rewatched it it's this week. Really good, and it might be the best time travel movie I've ever seen. It uh, it's certainly up <laughs> it's there. Incredible. It's so good. It is a fucking minor masterpiece. It's I I will say it, it one ups the likes of uh, Primer because there's an emotional core. Yes, and it's just such a straightforward way of telling a story it's like literally a woman at a bar sitting at a bar yes. telling a story so and like good. you think it's like you kind of want to roll my eyes at that but it works so well for the story they're weaving and once the twists or whatever you want to call them whatever the time travel shit gets in there in the last half an hour your my jaw was on the floor it's, it's amazing fucking unbelievable it's so good and they and, and I, I think that they've done themselves a favor by paring down all but the essentials of the story. And I think that that's where they succeed. Have you read the source material? No, I haven't. I haven't either. But I see people on Twitter when they talk about it. They're like, I didn't even watch it. Because, like, how do you film that? Like, it must like it. They somehow did it. I uh, we have to. And stop. I hear they take full dialogue from it too. We like we have to stop having that conversation. It's not as good as the book. Well, it's a different fucking medium. It's a different. Would thing. you expect a song based on a book to be the exact same thing? You need to stop doing this. You can enjoy the book. The book's not going anywhere. That's what Donald Westlake used to say. I learned that from a fucking Q&A. His widow, Abby Westlake, used to say that. People say, oh, what they did to your book was criminal. They didn't do anything to my book. It's still there on the fucking shelf. Why don't you buy it? You know what I mean? The, yeah. bo- the, the source material is not going anywhere. You can have fidelity to it, but you have to appreciate that what they're doing to it on film is not the same thing. It, honestly, the, it, 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 you'd expect people to think that they were making another book out of a book. It's not that. The film has to behave differently. I understand your concerns, but that is not the argument you're going to have with me about this. Regardless, uh, Predestination is two incredibly confident stylists with a very good idea and a couple of the most committed performers, yeah, ever. Ethan Hawke's best performance, I'd say, 
And Sarah I don't know Snook that I can argue un- with that. Unreal. Sarah Snook. Is Sarah un- Snook. Sarah Snook's unbelievable. And Ethan Hawke together in this thing. Honestly, Ethan Hawke turning into a character actor in low-budget genre films is one of my favorite developments yeah. of 21st century cinephilia. It's a joy. He's also one of those New York figures that I've literally run into three times. I bet. In this city. <laughs> is he tall? He seems tall. He's not that tall, but I the move I remember that I may have talked about before, is after a Wilco concert at the <laughs> King's Theater, which I was at, of course. Of course. He was in the row behind us. Well, you're a Chicago native. You got to go to Wilco. I got to. And then he was sitting... He was sitting he, he was sitting right behind us. But then at the end of the show, he moved himself to the, to the seat by the aisle and just was like talking to women that walked by. That's hilarious. I was like, that's kind of awesome. That's uh, <laughs> Go Ethan. Ethan. I love him. I love him to pieces. I think he's he's a, a force for good in the genre film world, uh, much like Frank Grillo. I think that mm. he can get films made and I, I love that. I appreciate that. He's he's probably like 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 gotten a lot of filmmakers and and editors and produ- like post-production guys like their start. Because yeah. by appearing in these low-budget movies, he's giving them credence. Right. Um, I respect the hell out of the guy. I think he's a very talented performer, and I love that he doesn't seem to give a fuck anymore, which is great, because it's unlocked this side of him that makes him a more compelling performer. Like, I like the Before movies, but his performance in Before Midnight is one is a marvel. Because yeah. it's him understanding the character and just being like, I'm just going to be myself like yeah. in the most flamboyant way possible. It's one of those performances that's less of a performance. Just like, I this is Ethan Hawke. Freaking just love it. Just being Ethan Hawke. It's exactly. amazing. Exactly. Um, so, Predestination. If you take home one thing from this podcast today is go See watch Predestination. Predestination. It's so good. It's three bucks on Amazon and it's anywhere else. Just incredible. Just fucking rent it and tell me I'm, I'm, I'm wrong for saying it's one of the best uh, to try and film. So, with that in mind, Winchester, I think, is probably my second favorite Spirig, okay, because it's not as good as Predestination, which really does have such soul. It really does. Um, it's just such a wonderful little movie, and I think that Winchester is back in their Daybreakers mold. Um, oh, sorry. So they make Jigsaw last year. Blah blah blah. It's fine. Yeah, they've had a. I mean, I was gonna say two in the same year, but it's not. It's 2018. But yeah, two movies. Basically, like, one right after the other. One after the other, and uh, they're they're basically studio hires now. Yes. And, and yeah. they're very good at it, I gotta say. Uh, a lot of people are giving Winchester a raft of shit for being kind of silly, and I, like, I, I don't know, I guess I get it to a degree, but it's like, I don't know, man, you guys all, like, just, you know, the, the Bloomhouse movies make money hand over fist, and these guys make a film that is half innocence elegant and half conjuring silly. And I loved it. I really loved it because the first 20 minutes of that movie, they it never it never uh, uh, blinks. It's just gorgeous imagery, beautiful, uh, capable, lovely uh, tracking shots of the house. You know that kind of that 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 kind of po-faced Malick impression of like here's this and this and that and that and blah blah blah. Right. It gives you a great sense of the space that you're in, and it's really lovely. A and lot of shots of dudes sawing stuff. Yes, Jason Clark doing very good work. Very good work. Very good very work. Good. Sarah Snook always a welcome face. Yes. Uh, as the uh, the sort of the uh, our, our our sort of our identification figure because Clark is too sort of like fucked up on laudanum to quite be an audience identification figure, um, but. Uh, uh, and then you meet Helen Mirren doing terrifically crazy work. Yeah, like basically like Donald Pleasance in Halloween. Yeah, um, just like I don't belong here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. And she <laughs> really she never lets on that she's above the material. It's wonderful. Okay, you liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I walked out with a shrug. I thought it was okay. Sure. I, there was like I hate to say I wasn't bored. I mean I want to say I wasn't bored, but there was a couple moments where I was bored. Um, 
I now see the tone they were going for. Like there was moments because early on there were a couple jump scares that are like very silly. I loved them. That are like yeah, I I laughed Dude, at them. The mirror face. The mirror face. I loved it. I yeah. love being scared. Honestly, what I was hoping for yeah. was that this would sort of be their woman in black. Yeah, I was thinking it was very hammery. Yes, type thing. yes, yeah. and it's not maybe as good or as relentlessly scary as Woman in Black, though it does have a couple of really nice like 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 completely naked jump scares, which yes. I really love. I love the mechanics of this stuff. I love that 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 mirror jump scare. I think is perfect because it's like you see what they're doing. You see the setup, and you're like, "Oh, we're we're gonna look over here, and the chair yeah, is gonna be there, full." Look over here. And I just love that, man. I love being toyed with by filmmakers who understand the conventions and they understand what they're putting me through. That's a good point, and that's why I didn't not like it. I exactly. just didn't love it. That's I thought fair. I was wait. I don't know. I came. Off, I mean, dude, coming off watching Predestination again. Well, I mean, I'm like, I'm expecting. I expect my expectations were too high. Too. Um, yeah. Uh, but I do agree that like it is fun to watch these guys who know what they're doing. Yes. Make this movie that we've all seen before. Yes. Like this. That's. That's my only problem with it is that, like, yes, I was waiting for them to maybe elevate. I guess they do elevate it in a few ways, but I was waiting for them to, like, uh, I was expecting too much. I wanted them to, like, uh, reinvent the wheel or something. Okay, that's and fair. And they didn't. They didn't. So, like, I was just like, yes, this is a very straightforward ghost uh, haunted housey movie. Yes. With the very, I thought, because it's, you know, based on a true, like, haunted Well, the Winchester place. House is the a Winchester fascinating exactly. location. I mean, honestly, I you couldn't a, ask for a better jumping off point. It, totally. And that's why I was kind of let down because I'm like, I wanted – I. I love. The, I don't know how far the truth of it goes and the screenwriting part goes, but like the idea that like this woman whose husband was the. I think it was. It, I was just talking. Actually, we should um, uh, defer to Jeeva Lang on this because she's like a like a a, a mini expert on the Winchester House. Jeeva Lang uh, uh, grew up, I think, near the house and has been to it many times. But she uh, understands the legal loophole that resulted in nonstop construction of the Winchester House. I. Don't remember it off the top of my head because it was uh, discussed a couple of weeks ago, and I have okay. the memory of a hummingbird these days. <laughs> but um, no, definitely talk to her if you can find her on Twitter. Also follow her on Twitter; she's great. Um, but uh, there, there was a some kind of legal thing where it was something about possession or ownership of the property or something like that, where she could continually own the house so long as construction never ended. It was something to do with that. Sure. So it's not a hundred percent wrong. Well, it's just they take a, a few liberties. Right. Well, it. my question is, I don't know this. So for those who don't know, the story of <sighs> the Winchester Mystery House, or at least as the movie goes um it's that there's this woman she's a widow of the guy sarah winchester Sarah winchester the widow of the of the man behind the winchester repeating rifle which is like you know it's the, the gun, gun from westerns you see it obviously yeah. there's a whole movie about a the fortunes of a winchester rifle much like oh hazard balthazar is about a donkey changing hands this is about a rifle changing hands starring jimmy stewart and i believe directed by the great anthony mann um terrific movie wow. winchester 73 um uh, so so this woman her husband's dead. Uh, she loses her daughter as well. Yes. And the idea of the movie, at least, is that uh, the the plot so much is that Jason Clark is this doctor. He's sent by the company to go look after her to assess her to mental faculties because they want to take uh, they want to wrest control of the company away from the widow Sarah Winchester because she's constantly they they think she's crazy because she's building constantly building new rooms for this house. There's no master plan for the house. There's rooms that there's doorways that lead to nowhere. There's stairways lead to nowhere. It's basically just her, her the head of her, her construction, her foreman, played by the great Angus Sampson, is the only one who understands that what is happening is she's sort of a medium. And the ghosts of people shot by the Winchester rifle... Which is such a great premise for It's so wonderful. The, the ghosts of everybody shot by the Winchester rifle, they come to her in these sort of uh, spiritual episodes, and they tell her that they want rooms built a certain way. So she has her construction team 
build rooms in the house, which don't really make a lot of sense. And then she gets their ghosts in there and sort of communes with them. And then when they're at peace, she nails them in their rooms. And so there are all these off-limits spaces in the thing, including the garden, which beguiles Jason Clark because he has history in a garden room, much like the one built in the house. Yes. So the movie itself, I think, did a really good job of writing a compelling horror narrative around this mystery yeah, house. Yeah, it's a, great a thing like, that slash fiction. It's great slash fiction. Um, and yeah, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with this movie. I think it's exactly everything Scout said, and like I just can't I just can't get that can't get that excited about it. I don't. That's fair. I, I'm That's not fair. excited about it. I would cautiously recommend it to fans of the genre. I would say if you're looking for a Victorian era, whatever yes. you call it, ghost movie. Yes. It will itch. It'll it'll scratch the itch, but you're not going to go away being like, "Wow, that what a was no!" Awesome. It, it is not. It is not their it's best movie. It is not their masterpiece. I think they do a really lovely job filming the location. I think Jason Clark's performance is his best in a minute. I love the dude. I I I, I think that he. He, he would have to try very hard to do better than his work in Lawless yeah. as f- borderline feral Howard. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but he's one of my favorites. I love him to pieces. He's great in Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, and I yes. think he does really good work here. And I think the thing that I like about the Spearigs is that they took a bunch of performers who have ultimately nothing in common as far as their acting styles are concerned, and they've clearly given them a sort of a cushion that they know that they can do whatever they please and they will land softly. Um, and I kind of love that they are clearly these guys who th- have convinced Jason Clark to kind of tone down his sort of Brandoisms, which you can see in Mudbound if you're curious. Yeah. Um, what it looks like when he's kind of going full to the hamming mat. it up. Yeah, hamming it up, baby. Even looking kind of like a ham. Yeah. Um, but uh, he looks really nice in this with the beard and everything. He's very handsome. Uh, Sarah Snook, not as good as she is in Predestination, but that's not really the role doesn't anything. require it. Yeah. Precisely, the role is a sort of uh, stock type. It's it's you see it in many many Hammer films. I mean, you think about. Um, uh, Hildegard Neff played this role for Hammer, and so did Ang Harrod Rees. Um, there are a lot of people who played that role for Hammer films over the years, which is women sort of uh, upset by supernatural happenings. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, Ang Harrod Rees probably does the best job of that as the blind woman in Hands of the Ripper. Anyway, uh, uh, I, I, I thought as a kind of you know low to mid budget horror thing, I thought there were a lot of things in that movie that I wouldn't have got from work by any other directors, which I think hints a little bit at what I kind of get out of modern horror that a lot of people don't, which hints at the thing that Simon Abrams and I have, which is we have very different tastes in things, but I think that between the two of us, we're willing to hear out whatever our favorite filmmakers are trying to say. Yeah. And so because... Benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Benefit of the doubt. Every single fucking time for directors that I actually enjoy. And even directors I don't enjoy. When you're doing something that like you've clearly gone uh, out on a limb to, to try, I'm going to hear you out, whatever it is. It, you know, you, you, you have the length of the film to convince me that you've done the right thing. And I really did enjoy myself. I think the last 20 minutes get a little silly. Like a horror third act movie... Gotta, always gotta does. do it. Always yeah. does. It's w- it's yeah. the running around and shouting. That's why I think I walked away so shruggy because I'm like, yeah, there are parts of this I was really into it for a while. Word. And I think I was really, I, I don't know. By the time the, the 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 running and shouting started, I think I was too in the bag yeah. to quite be turned off. I was just like checking my. Wa- I was definitely checking my watch by the end, which is tough for like a n- hundred minute movie. Yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. Um, I mean. 
but I don't, yeah. I don't, I do not begrudge you your 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 shrug towards the end because you're not wrong that the end of the the the, la- the final fifteen or twenty or whatever, it's a little it it, it 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 veers grammatically away from what they were trying to say with the first you know two acts of this movie, which are patient and uh, elegant. Yeah, no, it was. I thought it was well done until it wasn't. So that's fair. I will give it. I a just enjoyed myself. I think a lot more than a lot of people did with this. I like these guys. I think the Spirigs are talented. I'm so excited for what they do next. So. Same, same. And I hope I, it's something I, that they were like. I think, yeah, again, themselves. I would watch. I would watch Winchester again in a heartbeat. I really enjoyed myself. Um, I think their compositions are very nice, and I think that their work with actors is even nicer. Right on. I would not want to watch it again, but I would watch Predestination again. I would watch Predestination right now. Yeah, I if there wa- if I didn't have shit to do, I totally fucking would. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good. I haven't had an almost two hour episode in so long. <laughs> This is amazing. Scout, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for asking me to yammer. Yeah, I hope you had fun. I had a great time. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. You can find me on Twitter, at honors underscore zombie. That's what I was going to ask. That was your plug. At honors underscore zombie, your Patreon. Patreon.com slash honors zombie. No underscore in that one. Okay. Uh, I'm doing what I hope is good work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Come find out. Support Scout. (laughs) Uh, I'm Brett Redacted on Twitter. Uh, We'll be back next week, hopefully with Joe. Bye-bye. Just how much I needed that girl She wouldn't have gone far away If only you'd started ringing your bell Winchester